0: Hello. We are a week and a couple <laughs> days out from your wedding. I finally, know. it feels crazy. It
1: doesn't feel real. Um, I'm just dying and crying all the time, and <laughs> it's gonna be a blast. Yeah. Uh, I'm just having all the symptoms of like the week before your wedding. Also, like this is the annoying thing. It's perfect that I'm getting my period literally right now because it's not actually around any wedding event oh, I didn't have it at my bridal shower or my bachelorette party. I'm just having it, like, the week of, like, I need to get everything done, which isn't
0: helping, but it's also literally the best time to have it. Right. And then, like, all that extra, like, random acne symptoms and stuff, that'll be done and over Exactly. The bloating will go away (laughs) and... (laughs) Everything will be fine. The (laughs) stars are going to
1: align
0: finally after two years of mayhem and COVID. We've had two
1: unanniversaries in the time.
0: (laughs) Absurd. Um, But we're going to be be here to talk about your wedding. Although, (laughs) you should tell people that we're going to be taking a little bit of a break. Just a little bit. Um, Like a week and a half because... Katie has a honeymoon. Yes. We have a wedding, a family (laughs) wedding, which we're all involved in. So you're going to hear a whole bunch of book interviews the next couple weeks. And then the next time you hear us like back live in action will be uh, post-wedding. Yes. Post-wedding, like Halloween time. It'll be great. You'll see the pictures. It'll be a blast. Yes. So,
1: but yeah, but we need to tell you. That this is history on the
0: rocks with Katie and Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women, and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places. Because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time, and we're not historians <laughs> at best. We're professional drinkers and professional Wikipediaers. Yes.
1: But amateur historians, child's play. True amateur.
0: We don't get even paid for this. No,
1: no. I mean, my main source is like VH1's behind the music tonight. (laughs) Like this is a joke. For you, not for me. Not for you. (laughs) But before we get into these cocktails and these stories and everything we're about to do, we need to talk about what these women look like because you're busy. You're
0: <laughs> picking out a dress for the fall wedding you yes! have to go to. So you're like on Amazon trying to figure out what is prime in your size that can be delivered by the time that you have to be there.
1: Exactly. It's like, should I wear crushed velvet? Should I wear silk? Should I wear cotton? Cotton polyester blend? Nobody knows. Floor length? Floor T- length? A, a little bit eight. of both? No. <laughs> An A-line skirt? A slit? No slit? I don't what
0: know. What are the bridesmaids wearing? This but is absurd.
1: Can't. Be stopping your important search to look up what these women look like. So we are going to describe what these women look like. We're going to get a little physical, physical. physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like?
0: I am doing Artemisia Gentileschi. And we don't really know exactly what she looked like. She did do some self-portraits, but she's an Italian woman Um, from the Renaissance era, we do know that she was, when she painted herself, about 25 years old and holding an instrument, wearing, like, a blue dress with gold embroidery. She paints a lot of naked women, though, and men weren't really allowed to, like, use naked women models back then, but she had the benefit of having her own body, so we, we know that even though these bodies in these images were not necessarily self-portraits that she was utilizing a mirror to see the angles of the way a woman's body is and sits okay so we know a little bit about like how her body looked and in her self portraits she's kind of round-ish with like brown hair sometimes she's depicted with like light light brown hair but we know that she was, like, a good-looking girl with a lot of talent. That's, what, that's we go. what we know about <laughs> Artemisia Gentileschi. And she looked good as hell naked, apparently. Oh, I've okay. seen lots of, naked, <laughs> lots of naked women this week, which I'm not against. Yeah. Okay.
1: All right. I
0: know who you're doing, and I know what she looks like, but tell the world.
1: Everyone should know what Cher look like, looks like. She is also a good-looking, talented woman. Um. She's a one-namer, too. A one-namer. Cher is obviously a tall, thin, lean, strong woman with, like, (laughs) always a six pack abs it's unbelievable she's like a thousand how does she have a six pack her signature hairstyle is black long and straight in the 60s she had bangs and then it was kind of parted down the middle with no bangs in the 70s and then super big and curly in the 80s and then by the time we get to the 90s There is like light fixtures coming out of her hair. Oh,
0: yeah. I always saw her as like the prototype for Morticia Adams. And then like all of a sudden in the 90s, I was like, what's happening? It was so (laughs) funny
1: that you say that because I was like doing all this research and I was watching just videos of her nonstop. And then a thing came up of Morticia Adams and I was like. Cher? And I was like, no, no, that's not Cher. No, that's Angelica Houston. Oh,
0: my God, they look alike. So much. In my <laughs> head, I always combine Cher with Morticia Absolutely. Yeah. Or Angelica Houston, of course. Uh, so
1: she has a long, oval face with a prominent nose, these sharp, high cheekbones, and these big, dark, kind of downturned eyes. She has obviously been a style icon in every decade that she has been producing music in and she has been just the Toastmaker trendsetter for our lives and that is what Cher looks like <laughs>
0: Yes. I'm really excited. Can you tell me what I'm drinking for her? Yes. Because this kind of actually, because of the pink and the lime, it kind of looks like a Cosmo. Yes. It kind of looks like a Cosmo. It kind
1: of looks like that like hot pink Barbie drink we did like Uh, years ago. Yes. It just reminded me of that once I put it all together. (laughs) So this is called Mom, I Am a Rich Man. And it is an ounce and a half of mezcal half ounce of liqueur 43 a half ounce of campari (laughs) grapefruit juice lime juice and then you rim the whole thing with sugar it's just like
0: so fun so
1: fun so everything Cheers. cheers Mm.
0: wow the mezcal comes through it does and like i'm drinking mine out of a martini glass Mm -hmm. yours is in a coupe glass but i think you don't expect that mezcal tequila taste when you sip a martini so it's very interesting that it's coming through because i would expect it more in like a margarita glass or a rocks glass Mm -hmm. i love it Mm. and then to be topped with sugar instead of salt is very interesting i just wanted it to be like
1: i feel like Cher's life has taken so many twists and turns that like every time you think you know what's coming next in the cocktail it's something different. It's because she believed in life after love. Exactly. (laughs) Um so yeah so and I like there's like a little bit of bitterness from the Campari but it just like really complements them. It's just yeah I'm I'm pretty pleased with this.
0: (laughs) I just wanted it to be crazy. It is good. It is crazy.
1: (laughs) All right so Allie what do you know about Cher?
0: So, I know that she came on the scene with her uh, husband at the time. It mm-hmm. was Sunny and Cher, like, duo act. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that they had children together. I know that she's put out songs in, like, eight straight decades. She's like Madonna in that way. Um, I know that Sonny died after their divorce in an unfortunate skiing accident. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen multiple videos of them on stage, like "I Got You, Babe," <laughs> that one, and uh, I know that their child is a transgender adult, and it's super cool. And obviously, the um, "I Am a Rich Man" quote is one that we've posted on our Instagram so many times. Multiple times because I mean once a year it comes up in your memories and you're like why not repost that shit because it's so great. So those are the things I know about share. I would say very surface level. Yeah. I know things about share, but mm-hmm. deep things like I don't know where she was born what her actual name is <laughs> like, I don't I don't who know who really does though <laughs> um. <laughs> you no know one it's like Brianna although that's her name
1: <laughs> I do know now I do know Cher's real name now
0: okay so tell me everything
1: <sighs> okay so I my main sources for this were as I mentioned before VH1's behind the music <laughs> um, and another like Cher biography video online I kind of used the two against each other just to make like get a clear timeline and of course wikipedia and then shares <laughs> fan website called shareworld.com
0: Stop uh, it. <laughs> they need to have a pun on the word share like share your world yeah, exactly like, why haven't they done or that like
1: uh, shareable
0: who um, is the president of this fan <laughs> make, club? It share- make it shareable
1: <laughs> maybe that should have been my cocktail name yeah. okay Sherilyn sarkeesian lapierre <laughs> So her name is Cher. It is Cher. It's Sherilyn. I didn't know that. Um, Was born in El Centro, California on May 20th, 1946. Wow. Her father, John uh, Sarkeesian, was an American Armenian truck driver with a drug and gambling problem. Mm. Um, And her mother, Georgia Holt, was a model and actress with Irish english german and cherokee ancestry so her grandmother um her mother i think was cherokee so it's shares grandmother i believe it was or her grandmother okay either way there is she, she has a song called half breed all about how she has cherokee heritage and hmm. so she really does Colonel elizabeth warren huh? <laughs> exactly yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so Georgia Holt, Cher's mother, said she knew that marrying Sarkeesian was a bad idea. He was a lot older than her, um but she said that he had this knack of just like talking you into things. He was like, look, just try it out for like three months. Just give me three months of marriage. <laughs> if you're having dad and- problems, I feel bad for you, son. <laughs> You got 99 problems, but Cher ain't one. Um, And he said, if you don't like it, you can walk out. Um, But before the three months was up, she was pregnant with Cher.
0: Wow. Fertile dude. Oh, yeah. Uh,
1: So they had a short, tumultuous relationship, divorcing when Cher was just 10 months old. I know. But, um, and this would just start a long cycle of husbands for for Georgia and she even got remarried to him <laughs> for a brief time when Cher was 11 so she was like yeah I did meet my dad when I was 11 when he moved back in and married my mom again a decade later a decade
2: later wow, sitcom, um <laughs> are we yeah
1: <laughs> but back before that in 1951 Georgia remarried to a man named John um Suthel Uh, She had another daughter with him, with whom she named uh, George Ann. Um, So that's Claire's, uh, Cher's sister. Um, And you'll see her in all the documentaries. They're very close. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. Um, But Cher's family was always on the move and they never had a lot of money. Georgia was really trying to make it as an actress, but she typically had to rely on waitressing jobs to get by because she would just get, like, kind of, like, bit jobs, you know, and, like, side parts, and then sometimes she'd even bring the girls, and, like, they'd get little side parts. So, like, they were around the industry. Georgia
0: Holt's a good actress name, though. It is. It, it really, really is. is. It like wasn't it her. She also changed her name. I know, but I really like... <laughs> I can tell that she chose a good actress name. Yeah, she like, did. it sounds good. Georgia Holt. I could see this movie
1: starring Georgia Holt. Exactly. Um. So, John subtle i guess is how you pronounce his name was the closest thing Cher had to a father but then they split up when she was around nine years old she described him as a good-natured man uh who did turn belligerent when he drank too much though (laughs) she's like okay same dude same uh georgia would remarry about six more times over the years and when asked about this she said well you had to be married to someone to sleep with them so i got married a lot which we've talked about on the show before how like we talked about that with um, ginger Ginger rogers Rogers. ginger rogers like i just want to have a good time but like you kind of had to marry the guy before you did it like you know and
0: yeah in hollywood it seemed at that point like that men could sleep around without having their name tarnished and like a woman had to actually jump through the hoops of marriage in order to have any type of sexual relationship absolutely um, but of course everything would
1: fall apart when they would like, she'd break up with the guy and then they would move and they ended up living all over the country in places like California, New York and Texas, but mainly California. She spent most of her time there. Um, and she does not strike me as a West coast girl. I know
0: she's such an East coaster. I thought she was born in like Arizona. Like <laughs> I feel like Arizona counts as West coast. Okay. Probably. Yeah. I could see that. I just don't see her as like. She's not like the type of person that I would be like, oh yeah, a West Coast beauty. She's more of yeah. like a you're in Northeast, like you grew up in Connecticut, and then like wanted to strike it big.
1: Right, exactly, and it's and again, it's, we'll get into this, but it's because she's not blonde. That's why right. we don't associate her with like. The, the west coast in the and 50s she's, she's not
0: like super tan either she's not pale but i think she puts on that
1: dark look well you know what's funny is uh, i think that she's gotten paler over the as uh, she's gotten older oh, but impressive. when she was young she was naturally dark because she was armenian
0: and also i'm trying to picture her in that like i got you babe in her one onesie jumpsuit yeah
1: thing. <laughs> she wore a she, lot of those she was a little tanner oh she was definitely a lot tanner um but yeah i think that like as the years have gone on, she's, like, lightened up a bit. But, yeah, but she is naturally, like, kind she's of dark-skinned. Ethnic. She's yeah.
0: Natu- naturally Yeah, ethnic. I mean, she's
1: part Cherokee and Armenian and German and English and Irish. She's right. just a true, like, melting pot of a person. Mm. Um, But, yeah, so they're moving around a lot, and... Georgia is struggling financially, and unfortunately, there was even a time when Georgia had to just drop Cher off at an orphanage. Hate that. I know. And just so she could, like, get her shit together. Mm -hmm. And Cher said, she was like, she came to see me every day at the orphanage but she literally couldn't afford to feed me. So like I had to be there, but she would come visit me every day just to know like I am coming for you. Like I, as soon as I get it together, but it was just a really traumatic event for the both of them because Georgia didn't want to do that. Like, I think it's easy to paint like showbiz moms as like terrible people. And like Georgia really was not trying to be that person. Right. Um, I mean, and Cher remembers them just being so broke that she had to use rubber bands to keep her shoes together because like every time school came around, they're like, we can't afford to get you new shoes. Mm. So just tape them up.
0: Have you ever had shoes without two strings? (laughs) I am rapping a lot tonight. Really? Uh,
1: She said, we ate a can of stew or a can of beans one week, but then sometimes we lived in Beverly Hills because like sometimes like she'd get a gig and then money would come in and they'd move into like better area. And like sometimes she'd be dating a guy with more money. And she was like, it was just a very strange life because there was nothing consistent about Cher's younger life.
0: And all kids want is
1: consistency. Yeah, literally. Uh, but there was one thing that kept Cher going. Uh, like her mother, she had an insane desire to perform. And she loved movies, especially Audrey Hepburn. Mm-hmm. In fact, she based, like, her style and kind of, like, attitude later in life on Holly Golightly. Not Audrey Hepburn, but like, Holly Golightly. I was very yeah, no, 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 no. That,
0: that sentence. I was like, Audrey?
1: No, Holly Golightly. Yeah, because she's okay. like, oh, my gosh, like, this woman is wild. And she's wearing, like, weird things. And she, like... And, I, like, Holly Galatly also kind of emits that thing of, like, I don't need a man. Like, I'm here. I'm doing my thing. You don't have to worry about me. I'm independent. And, like, Cher just, like, really grabbed on to that. Um, and she loved Audrey Hepburn because she was, like, the only brunette person on stage or on camera at the time. Like, the
0: biggest one. Like, yeah, I mean, we've talked about that in a lot of our, like, g- like, Gilded Age of Hollywood mm-hmm. eras, which, like, Cher is just popping out of. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, I mean, you you dyed your hair. Like, gentlemen prefer blondes. Like, this is what you're supposed to look like. Yeah, There wasn't a, like, East Coast beauty at the time. That didn't really exist. No. And um,
1: I really want to do Rita, Rita Hayworth at some point in the show because apparently, like, they made her, like, dye her hair lighter and they changed her hairline to (laughs) i know like fergie i
0: don't know what fergie did to her hairline did they do that to her fergie i think did it to herself she gave she had like a five finger forehead like i have and Mm -hmm. she like shifted her hairline down they made her put hers up oh i don't know how they did it too squinchy i don't know what they (laughs) did but
1: but yeah, they like changed Rita Hayworth's like hairline. It was uh, okay. We have we have to do her to talk about it because I actually need to also fact check myself because I'm just no, saying this. We don't fact check on based this based off of things we I just see say on Instagram. We want. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but she just like knew that she wanted to perform, and when she was in fifth grade, she produced her own production of Oklahoma. <laughs> Her own. Oh, yeah. This is not school sanctioned. But she couldn't get enough students to participate. So she was like, okay, well, you'll be this person. You'll be this person. And I'll just play all the male parts. It's totally (laughs) fine. I have a deep voice. and She does have a deep voice. She does. Um, Which I love that she did this when she was in fifth grade. Because one of my favorite videos, literally on the internet, is when Cher was an adult woman. She did a version of West Side Story where she played every single character and and it's spliced together, but it's in like the late (laughs) 80s, early 90s. So it's like the early days of editing and it is unbelievable. And she dresses up like every character and splices herself in I'm she sings five-part duets with herself. <laughs> it's she, my favorite thing on the internet. She's she's amazing. <sighs> okay. Um, but even though she had all of this tenacity and charisma, she felt like the chances of her being in show business were slim as hell. She said she felt unattractive and untalented, later commenting, I couldn't think of anything that I could do. I didn't think I'd be a singer or a dancer. I just thought, well... I'll be famous. And that was my goal. Her goal was to like be a star. Yo, the Armenians. That's what they do. <laughs> they do it well. They do it better than anyone. Oh my God. And of course, one of the reasons she felt this way was because of her jet black hair and her dark features. Her mom was a blonde. Her sister was a blonde. She didn't know her dad. So she like, she literally was like, when I met my dad, I was like, Oh, fuck. That's who I look like. I was wondering this whole goddamn time. Like, it's him. (laughs) And again, like, everyone in TV and movies was, like, blonde. And she just felt like she didn't belong. But she knew she had to be a star. (gasps) So, things changed in her life again in 1961 when her mom married a banker named Gilbert LaPierre. So, now they got a guy with some money. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, he enrolled the girls in Montclair College Preparatory School, a very fancy private school in Encino. Now, this was a culture shock for the girls i mean imagine like i like to picture it as like when wednesday adams went to summer camp like
0: and she pushes that blonde bitch in the water off
1: the beer uh she jumps in (laughs) i'll be the victim all All your your life life. (laughs) uh yes it's like that whole thing of like that is share in this school (laughs) Great. And they're just like suddenly in a sea of like young white blonde girls from affluent families who have had family money forever and don't know what it's like to be like Cher. And, but I think it actually ended up being really good because it made her stand out like she was born to do. Like one of her classmates later said, I will never forget seeing Cher for the first time. She was so special. She was like a movie star right then and there. And she said she was going to be a movie star. And we knew she would be. Like, we just knew it. Like, to these girls, like, Cher was so fucking cool.
0: Because she wasn't like any of them. And she probably, like, walked in with her fucking rose-tinted glasses. Exactly. Looking like Like, a psycho. And they're all like, okay, okay. Because
1: this is the thing. It's funny because she was like, I always kind of wanted to be like everyone else, but I knew I wasn't, so I just embraced that I wasn't, which I can't even understand the mental gymnastics you have to do to to do that. In middle and high school? Absolutely not. Come on. No way. Um, but the other students loved her, and she would sing and perform for them, and she would wear crop tops, showing off her, like killer abs that she even had when she was like 15 um, and Bitch. they just thought that she was like the most wonderful interesting person they had ever seen That's So great. Um, but Cher was not the best student academically she was really creative and intelligent but she was just like really bad at school and she was like my report card was all over the place and like the teachers knew I was smart so they would accuse me of like not applying myself and not trying hard enough and she was like, I didn't figure out later in life, it's because I'm fucking dyslexic. Mm. She didn't know. She was like, Yeah, I don't know why my grades are all over the place. Because she, I know I can I can't do it. Read. I just can't fucking read.
0: Like <laughs> Yeah.
1: <laughs> and especially
0: in a time when like time testing and stuff was important. Oh, like, yeah. now people would be like, take your time. Exactly. Do what you need to do. Exactly. But she didn't have that. So she
1: was just kind of done with school. She was ready to start her life. She was like, I just didn't care about high school. I was never there mentally. I was always fantasizing about my adult life. I always wanted to be an adult. And so when she was 16, she dropped out of school and moved to L.A. with a friend of hers. She just left. And she got there. She's taking acting classes. She's working to support herself. She's dancing in these like little clubs <laughs> along the Sunset Strip. And just any chance she got... She would introduce herself to agents and managers like she just didn't give a fuck. She'd be like, I don't care if I look stupid doing this. I'm going to walk up to them and be like, hi, I'm Cher. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a star. Nice like, to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you. Put me in something. Um, but yeah, she just never hesitated to go up to people. But she ended up finding her destiny at Aldo's Coffee Shop in Los Angeles at 17 years old she met the 27-year-old Sonny Bono.
0: Oh, Sonny.
1: So at this point, Sonny was already, like, kind of established. He was a songwriter working for record producer Phil Spector, um, who, side note, was a horrible domestic abuser who tormented Ronnie Greenfield, the lead singer of the Ronettes. You know, like the song Be My Baby? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he tormented her and sabotaged her career by literally locking her in his house like he literally didn't allow her to have shoes because he didn't want her to be able to run away I hate this I hate him so much and it sucks that like he is this like incredibly influential person in music like he changed the way that like we record music but he's a fucking monster well
0: I feel like a lot of producers in both Hollywood and in music like Hollywood movies and music mm-hmm. were um, subject to that, like yeah. I'm a man and I can control any woman that comes through yeah. my door type mentality. Oh yeah. And we do have to reckon with that. We have to oh, reckon yeah. with that anytime we talk about MGM, we have to reckon with that anytime we talk about like Columbia Records. Like there is not a good history when dealing with female talent.
1: Oh no, absolutely not. Um, but anyway, so I just want to make that note because he's a horrible person. Um but <laughs> But Sonny and Cher got along instantly, and when Cher was kicked out of her apartment by her roommates, I don't know what happened there um, he was like, "Well, if you want, like you can live with me, and like, you know, you can be my housekeeper." <laughs> Not the origin story I expected. Um, the two, though, I mean, in the beginning, they had a platonic relationship for a long time. She was his housekeeper. He was, like, employing her, but then they became friends. She's Sonny's
0: housekeeper? Yeah. that's what, That was what a lot of the sources said,
1: wow. which is weird.
0: Um, was he romantically involved with somebody else? Because she's, like, 10 years younger.
1: She's 10 years younger. Um, I think at this point, Cher describes it as, like, he was, like, making it. And I just thought he was, like, a god. Like, she's kind of enamored with him. He's, like, she's cool. But there's nothing sexual going on for the first good bit of their relationship. Okay. Like, they're just friends. They're literally sleeping in separate rooms, different twin beds in his apartment. Like there's nothing going on for the first part. It's
0: total sitcom appropriate. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um they're both just like young people trying to make it in the industry. Sonny is wanting to be um a produce a music producer and Cher is wanting to be an actress. And so Cher was always kind of hanging around the studio and Sonny was like, this is Cher, this is full specter. He kind of introduces them and They're recording the song, Be My Baby, by the Ronettes, this incredibly famous, amazing song. And he's like, okay, we need more backup singers. And Sonny's like, well, Cher can sing. And Cher had, like, really bad stage fright, like, which is so funny because she went there to be an actress. But, like... You know, with singing, she was like, No, I have this deep, horrible, ugly voice. Like, she still today talks about how she hates her voice. She's like, No, it's not a woman's voice. Like, I don't like her. I like her. I love her voice. But she's always felt self conscious about it. And so he was like, Yeah, Cher can sing. And so he was like, All right, put her in. And so, in the recording of "Be My Baby," Cher is singing backup vocals.
0: That's incredible. I know she's in everything. It's like Jennifer Lopez being the dancer in Janet Jackson's music video. <laughs> Come
1: on, that actually is a perfect example comparison, of this. Right? Yeah, comparison. Yeah, it is exactly a perfect right. comparison.
0: It's an SAT uh, metaphor yes. statement. <laughs> uh,
1: Cher is to the Ronettes as, as J Lo is, is to. Janet Jackson. Well, we have, to oh, blank. have multiple I'm sorry, the blank, i the blank. Janet
0: Jackson?
1: <laughs> Yes. Whitney Houston.
0: What's the A, B, A, B, (laughs) C,
1: Mario Lopez. (laughs) Um, He was like a baby when that happened. (laughs) Okay. Mario Lopez. (laughs) Just pictured him in my head. Okay. Um, So he was using her consistently for background vocals uh, for a lot of popular songs that we still play. Um, But it was really funny because her voice was so strong and powerful that they were like, "Uh, Cher, I'm sorry. Can you just get back a little bit. Okay. Just no, no, couple more feet, honey, please. Oh my gosh. You're so loud. Like just cause
0: her voice was so strong. You're at a 10. Can you bring it down to about a two? Exactly. And so
1: she was like, I would end up standing like five or six feet away from the microphone. And I was still coming through. Like she sang on a Christmas song and her and the lead singer, like still joke about, she was like, can we please not talk about the Christmas song? (laughs) It was so embarrassing for me. I was so fucking loud. (laughs) <laughs> um I love that. and so uh, phil specter is definitely heavily involved in her like early years and apparently he asked Cher to sleep with him one time and she just responded look i'll sleep with you but only for money which really pissed him off because normally it would be like no like i'm the man in power you just do what i say and she's like i'm not doing that except like unless you fucking pay me okay and he was like really offended <laughs> she was whoring herself out just then oh she no it was like a power move because she was like he thought that he was going to be able to get it for free and she was like no i don't even want like a promise of a thing if you're gonna i want i want some money like not like i'll put you in my next song i'll do this i'll do that and pay me he was not used to that and he was so offended but she was like i wasn't gonna take his shit like you know he was an asshole like love that (laughs) Um uh, but he still worked with her and he produced her first single which is a song called Ringo I Love You. Uh she did it under the name Bonnie Jo Mason and this song is exactly what it sounds like. It is a love song to Ringo Starr of the Beatles. i was going to
0: say I only know one There's only there's <laughs> only
1: one Ringo and it, it just it was kind of like a joke song, kind of a campy song. Um but it didn't do well. Uh but not because the song was weird. It was because of Cher's voice. Radio stations thought that her voice was too low and they felt like the song sounded like a gay man singing about his love for this other man, Ringo Starr. And they're like, no, like that is not acceptable. Like, so they wouldn't play it. So it didn't go anywhere. But people, especially Sunny, saw that she had a lot of potential as a singer So he convinced her to quit acting and focus on music, and soon she and Sunny paired up both professionally and romantically, Um, which really kind of all came about because again Cher had really bad stage fright. She didn't want to go out and sing on a stage alone, and Sunny was like, "Okay, what if we go out together?" And she was like, okay, so like there was one point like he literally shoved her on stage and she froze up and he had to like come out and like hold her hand and sing with her. Like she was so scared when she was first out there because like, you know, singing on the lunch table with your friends is one thing, but going out in front of a crowd of strangers, that's like really scary. It's
0: terrifying. And then the more you get shaky voice, the shakier your voice gets. Exactly. Shaky voice <sighs> is like so bad. Yeah. Um. So they officially
1: become a duo. Um calling themselves Caesar and Cleo. Hate that! (laughs) Hate that! Um, And people had some reservations. They weren't the most traditional singers. I mean, Sonny was singing the high notes and Cher was singing the low notes. Um, But it worked in a weird way. Um, So in the beginning, they were recording a few singles, but nothing was hitting quite big yet. Um, And then on October 27th, 1964, the two get married in an unofficial wedding ceremony in tijuana mexico in like a hotel room <laughs> so they're unofficially married they do get officially married eventually um
0: but in tijuana they get married yeah okay Uno- they Is like uh, they're like <laughs> held
1: some seashells and like their love for each other oh, so in 1965 Sonny plays a song for share that he had written called i got you babe and she's like okay i mean it's not your best but it's okay
0: I mean, it's, like, their most famous song. It's their most... Yeah.
1: <laughs> the two recorded it. They they recorded it. They released it later that year. Finally, under the name Sonny and Cher. <laughs> and it soared to number one on the Billboard charts in the U.S. and the U.K. and stayed there for eight weeks. I mean, should you so make this a your first dance song? <laughs> I got you, babe. No. Um. <laughs> and so... They're, like, number one on the charts. They're suddenly everywhere. And people just didn't know what to make of them. Right. Because this is, again, 1965. And when you watch Mad Men, you really get a feel for, like, the hippie era didn't come until the end. Yes. 1965, teenagers are still wearing Letterman jackets and bobby socks and full skirts hippie fashion the poodle, skirts, poodle skirts hippie fashion wasn't a thing yet i mean the beatles are still in suits and here's sunny and Cher in fur vests striped bell bottoms and like moccasins with long dark hair i mean people would joke about sunny they're like you look like a medieval page. Like, what's going on here?
0: <laughs> they were very
1: 70s, but in the 60s. They, I mean, they literally were the first big musical artists to adopt the, what we think of as the hippie look. So they are the first ones. They get out and suddenly girls are taking irons and ironing their hair flat on ironing boards. They're dying their blonde hair black just to look like Cher. Like they saw her and they were like, fuck, she's cool. Like she was
2: (laughs) the cool girl. So cool. And she
1: inspired a whole generation of long haired hippie girls, which meant they did run into some trouble. Um, so when they went on their tour across the UK, they were literally thrown out of a nice hotel because they like thought they were homeless people. Oh no! Oh, no. <laughs> and then it made the news. they like, Sonny and Cher kicked out of the Hilton, like, because of their bell bottoms and fur. <laughs> but she said, you know what? It only got us more press. And. But after that, she's like, things were kind of a blur. She's like, we got so famous so fast. And at one point, they had five songs in the top 50 all at the same time. Something only two other acts have done, the Beatles and Elvis. And by the end of 1967, I'm sure there are other people now, but like at the time. like at get ready for at like the time. Olivia Rodrigo. Okay. I know. Like...
0: <laughs> where her entire album is about breaking up with her boyfriend. Like, how jaded is she? (sighs) She's
1: pissed as fuck. I love that for her.
0: I do, too. I love every song, and I'm like, (laughs) wow. Bitter. Keep being bitter, girl. Tell the world.
1: So, by the end of 1967, they had sold 40 million records worldwide and had become, according to Time Magazine, rock and roll's it couple. But then... We're officially in the late 60s, and you had more psychedelic rock and hard rock coming out. And people were into drugs, Jefferson Airplane, and Led Zeppelin. And Cher kind of wanted to change with the time. She's like, okay, like things are moving forward, let's do it. But Sonny is stuck. Remember, he's like 10 or 11 years older than her, and they took really hard stances against drugs and they were soon seen as like kind of square. I mean, they are an anti-drug monogamous married couple <laughs> who at this point was playing soft rock.
0: This is like the Jonas Brothers. It really <laughs> <Not> is. Like <laughs> they're like basically their purity rings
1: on. <laughs> Give me my promise ring. Like it just it it just wasn't working anymore. Like you know, it's like the it was first... fun
0: when it was fun.
1: Exactly. And it's like, you know how I feel like that happens when you're in high school where like the first person you think is cool, then you grow up and you're like, oh, God, they weren't really that cool. They were just like the only person who <laughs> was slightly different than what I was used to. <laughs> um, right. So they're in this like weird time period. Uh, Cher tried to make a more hip solo album. Uh, it was called Backstage, but it didn't quite hit. Um, so Sonny was like, it's OK, we'll get into the movie business. So Sonny writes, produces, and directs, and pays (laughs) to make a film called Chastity.
0: If you have to pay for your own shit, it means it's not (sighs) going to go anywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. Somebody needs to pay you.
1: Which, of course, it starred Cher. So this is actually the role that Sonny always wanted. He always wanted to be the producer. Like, he kind of felt like he was forced to be on stage with Cher. Mm. Like, he was like, I always wanted to just be the person behind the scenes. He's like, I wanted to be Phil Spector. Like, I wanted, without the horrible uh, barbed wire and guard dogs. Um, But he was like, I wanted to be, like, the guy behind the scenes. And so he was like, I'm going to make this movie. It's going to be awesome. Cher's going to be the star. The film cost the couple five hundred thousand dollars which i can't even imagine how much that is in today's money they mortgaged their house to pay for it and it was a huge flop
0: and these are like rich famous people yeah i think we you know we often think it's like oh you've made it you had one famous song you're set that's not how it is you're not set you have to keep going because if you don't then it's over that's yeah. it
1: yeah exactly they ended up in a hundred and ninety thousand dollars worth of debt Shit. by the end of nineteen sixty nine. And then they're both dropped from their record labels. They're dropped as Sonny and Cher and she's dropped as Cher. And things are not looking good, but they did have something wonderful happen in nineteen sixty nine. The birth of their son Chaz, who they named after the movie Chastity. <laughs> she's like i think they did that uh before chastity got um there the reviews um Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they're just like no they're both our babies like Mm -hmm. (laughs) we'll name them the same thing um but yeah so they had this baby that now they need to take care of and they have a kind of plummeting career so they were like okay we have to do what we have to do and they started to accept jobs anywhere they could and they are doing these kind of sad lounge club acts, which Cher said was so depressing. She was like, imagine going from playing Madison Square Garden to the back room of a casino in Atlantic City. She was like, it was so shitty. Like there was literally like sometimes she was like, we do two shows in a night and the second show would be for like two drunk guys at a bar.
0: Atlantic City is not ideal. No, to be completely and entirely honest, New Jersey. Yeah,
1: it was just like an, like any casino that would take them. They'd go to the bar and perform. According to writer Sintra Wilson, their lounge act was so depressing, people started to heckle them, and then Cher would heckle them back, and then Sonny would reprimand her and be like, "Stop doing that," and then she'd heckle Sonny, and then. People started to like that. They're like, oh, look at her. She's giving him shit. I fucking love that. (laughs) And this became their new act. Just joking around with each other on stage and poking fun and basically putting their marriage out on stage. And suddenly people are coming to these shithole casino bars to see them, but not for their music, but for their comedy, for their banter. And TV studios take notice. And suddenly they're like, you know what? Why don't you come guest star on this on the show? You know, just come on and do your thing, you know? And so they're kind of going around and they're guest starring until finally someone said, I think that they need their own show.
0: <laughs> now, see, I would be super <laughs> uncomfortable with my partner, like, making fun of me on stage. Oh,
1: yeah. And, and this would- is a radical thing because... I feel like a lot of times it was like the woman was the butt of the joke and now it's the man. I feel like, you know, we talk, we talk a lot about how sitcoms now.
0: Oh yeah, it's the opposite. Are, it's the
1: total opposite. It's like the man is always the butt of the joke and it's like, it's like, <laughs> Everybody you know, he
0: loves Raymond, the Simpsons. Yeah. Like I've, the, the man in the gym, whatever, like whatever it Opie is. The guy. Yeah.
1: It's King like of the Opie, but it wasn't, this had never been done before. Like they're thinking about like, You know, like in like everybody loves Lucy. It's like Lucy's always like kind of like the butt of the joke. It's like she's being crazy and Cher wasn't doing that. She's like, no, I'm going to make fun of him. He's shorter than me. And I'm going to like tell everybody he has like a small penis. And people were like shocked.
0: (laughs) (laughs) People were like, why? You can't say that. Yeah, no, exactly.
1: And so on August 1st, 1971, the Sonny and Cher Comedy Hour aired for the first time. It started off with just six episodes, but it was such a tremendous success that they turned it into a full-time show by the end of the year, and soon it was the number one variety show in the country. What? I know. Cher would come out wearing these incredibly long, shimmering outfits with her bare midriff, and the outfits just got crazier and crazier as... (laughs) The show would go on at, like people would tune into the show just to see what Cher was going to be wearing that week. Oh,
0: she was like a predecessor to Lady Gaga. She that really sense. was. Yeah. No,
1: absolutely. Um, and all of her costumes, I'm going to give him a shout out. were designed by Bob Mackie, Woo-hoo. which I feel like is a name we know. Yeah. Like I,
0: Bob Mackie. I absolutely know that.
1: Name. Yes. And so she's literally again in the seventies being a trend setter, setter and a style icon. People are literally just watching to see, like, what the hell kind of crazy thing is she going to wear this week? <laughs> <laughs> and they would put Sunny purposefully in these, like, really crazy, like, leisure suits. <laughs> like Not leisure suits, but, like, you know, like the... They're um, kind of big and baggy a little bit. They're yeah, ju- zoot suits zoot zoos, yeah, yeah, and they have, like, the big collar and the I ruffled shirt know. and the big bow tie, and he has his page boy haircut with his giant mustache, and...
0: Sonny was a wild, it, wild human. He
1: really was. Um, with the show being such a huge success, it was time for Cher's music to shine on its own. During this time, she released incredibly popular songs such as Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves, Half Breed, and Dark Lady. But with her career skyrocketing again, her relationship with Sonny really started to suffer. Cher said the more popular she got, the more he kind of wanted to put his nose down and work all the time. And she was like, you know, before when we were both kind of struggling, it was like, okay, like we're, we're doing this together. And then she was like, it kind of felt like once he settled back into the producer spot, he always wanted, that was all he wanted to do. And she was like, I felt like I had a manager, not a husband anymore. And that's not what she wanted. And then he was, like, getting kind of protective, and he, like, didn't want to let Cher go because that's his star. That is, like, what he always wanted, and Cher was a little afraid to let it go, too. I mean, she was 16 when they met, like, 16 or 17. It's a little unclear, but she was a teenager.
0: Yeah, she's a baby. <laughs> she was
1: a baby, and he was all she really knew and like she had dated other guys before but this was her first big love her relationship someone she lived with her husband and then she also was like i thought about if i end this hundreds of people are out of a job this is a show that employs people and how will i feel when we break up and then they are suddenly out of work like this oh, this was all just weighing on her it was she was like it's gonna affect so many people but soon she got kind of sick of his like controlling behavior and like you know he'd be like well you can't go out but i'm gonna go out you know and she's like i'm in my fucking 20s like i want to go out like what the hell like and i did hear one thing that he like he was allowed to date other people but like she wasn't so was like i don't not know quite an open
0: marriage but maybe, an open but marriage. maybe for him yeah. i don't
1: know but again i think it's because like When he got more settled into being a manager, he was like, no, I'm a manager. I'm not your husband. Mm. I don't know. It was all very heartbreaking. Um, And in 1974, they split up and it all came to a close. The divorce was a tumultuous affair with a lot of horrific legal battles involving money. And of course, their son, Chaz. But thankfully soon it was done and Cher was already bouncing back with another man. She married Greg Allman of the Allman Brothers <laughs> four days after her divorce was settled from Sonny.
0: <laughs> 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 so I feel like you have to be separated for like a year or some shit like that before you yeah. legally can get a divorce. Yeah. yeah.
1: So um, she is moving on, and he could not have been more different than Sonny. The Allman Brothers were a band completely built on sex drugs and rock and roll. Which Cher thought was kind of an act, but shortly into their whirlwind marriage, Greg admitted to her that he was a heroin addict. She didn't know.
0: Well that's well, don't get married so quick.
1: I know. It's I just think it was I I honestly I'm just imagining like a bird getting loose from the cage and just being like, Oh
0: my God, like there's another cage.
1: I love it. Like, you know, just like I think that she had just gotten loose from this very restrictive relationship and then just saw this person and like according to greg he was like yeah we literally just like woke up one day and she's like we should get married and he was like okay
0: like and i think also she probably knew that the public face she was putting on and probably assumed he was putting on a very similar fake public persona but
1: he wasn't but
0: yeah and i mean he could have been in some aspects but You know, once drugs become part of the public persona, it's very hard to get away from because addiction for some people just clings deeper.
1: Yeah. And I think it's a really important thing to note about Cher. Like we talked about her a little bit being kind of anti-drug, but like she is one of the stars of like the 60s and 70s who like was never into that. Which I think is like really impressive. It's not her thing. It's just not her
0: thing. Share straight edge.
1: Most <laughs> <laughs> popular straight edge artist of
0: <laughs> the sure. 20th century. I mean, it had to be to get through the 60s and really, 70s without really. an addiction. Are you kidding? <laughs> so he
1: admits this to her and she's like, doesn't know what to do with this information. She's so overwhelmed. And she really tried to help him kick it. She would stay up with him all night. She would take care of him while he was sick from withdrawal, just like holding him. And you know, she's like, "All right, we'll work together. We'll like, we'll meld our two audiences." <laughs> they were like, "They're like, yeah, it was kind of weird. Like for a little while, we'd do shows together and we did songs together. And half the club would be in tuxedos, and half of them would be like scumbag, like acid droppers. Like, <laughs> 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 like, it was really weird." Um. But in 1976, she gave birth to their son, Elijah. And she looked around and she was like, okay, the situation has changed. I have two kids now because she had custody of Chaz. She was like, I can't put them in this situation. And she left Greg. She's like, you know what? The kids shouldn't have to suffer for me trying to fix this person. Right. But out of that rough marriage... Uh, She walked right into the best era of music, Disco. And in 1979, she had her first big disco hit with the song, Take Me Home. Mm. (laughs) And she had a new lover. Of course she does. So we're kind of getting into the 80s now. And she starts dating this wild rock and roll icon by the name of Gene Simmons. Woo! did you know that she
0: dated gene simmons i didn't but they look good together they do i'm closing my eyes i'm picturing picture it i love it
1: they're crazy He has a long tongue yeah
0: (laughs) he's got lots of weird makeup she's got black hair so does he
1: he described this one point he was like yeah we woke up one morning and she's like let's go for a run on the beach and she, he was like, she was wearing like sneakers and shorts, like a normal fucking person. He was <laughs> like, I was wearing snakeskin boots and leather pants. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, and we're running on the beach in Los Angeles, and we're like, hey, Barbara Streisand. Like, they're like, asking yeah, all these famous people. He was like, yeah, that was, uh, that was what he was like, but it was a good time. Like, they, had a really fun time together, but eventually, after a few years, they went their separate ways. If
0: I could be a fly on the wall for the moment they were I together, I would pay a lot of money, like
1: to- a, 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 an uncomfortable amount of money.
0: Yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> <laughs> an actual uncomfortable. I'd mortgage
1: my house to um,
0: I see would, that moment I, and to live in it for just like a I- bit.
1: God, I can't even imagine. Especially with them both just, like, at their prime. And
0: can you imagine, like, the waves about to, like, hit his crocodile boots and he's just so upset. And then, like, his face makeup's, like, a little there, but, like, he had (laughs) washed it off because it's the morning.
1: But he's not great at washing off his makeup at night. No, and he's,
0: like, panting a little bit because he, like... Yeah. <laughs> and his tongue is just hanging out like a dog. I love it.
1: And there's Barbara Streisand.
0: And Cher's in a pony. She's got her hair in a pony because she's running and she's like trying to be a normal ass bitch. Okay. The longest
1: pony in the world.
0: Uh, okay. Have we met Ariana Grande?
1: <laughs> so by the time the 80s came around, Cher is getting kind of bored with the music scene. And she's wow. like, you know what? I'm going to go back to what I set out to do in the 60s. I'm going to act. So she moves to New York and she starts taking acting lessons and auditioning for Broadway. But people weren't interested in casting her in serious roles. Mm. Apparently, one director said, you can't be on Broadway. You have one name. It's like, it just doesn't work. (laughs) But in 1982, she got her first gig in a play on Broadway called Come back to the five and dime, Jimmy Jean. Sorry, Jimmy Dean. (laughs) Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, playing a member of a James Dean fan club, holding a 20-year reunion. So now that she has her foot in the door, which is so silly, considering that she's already done so much, (laughs) um, like people were starting to notice that she could really act. So they're like, okay, she's actually serious, and she's actually kind of good. So she's cast in a movie called Silkwood playing Meryl Streep's lesbian roommate <laughs> and she was really nervous she told her sister I can't do this I can't act with Meryl fucking Streep and apparently her sister was like well someone thinks you can or else they wouldn't have cast you Meryl so Streep's a fucking guy go and do it so she did and she won a Golden Globe for best supporting actress in that movie <laughs> In 1985, she formed the film production company, Isis, and her next film, Mask, reached number two at the box office, and it was Cher's first critical and commercial success as, like, a leading actress. Like, she is the, like, star of this movie. Um... She was playing a drug addict biker with a teenage son who has a severe physical deformity. Um, It seems like a really wild movie. But she won the Cannes Film Festival Award for Best Actress. And then we get to 1987. And this is a dynamite year for Cher's movie career. She starred in Suspect with Dennis Quaid. Wishes of Eastwick with Michelle Pfeiffer. And of course, Moonstruck. With Nicolas Cage.
0: Shit. How old are Dennis Quaid and Nicolas Cage? I can't. I. (laughs) I, I'm very. I have no idea. Now I'm questioning. Everything you know about the world? Yeah. Yeah. I felt like Cher was on an entirely different playing field. From these gentlemen. And now I'm understanding I was entirely incorrect. Yeah. (sighs) This last
1: role in Moonstruck. Would win her the Academy Award for Best Actress. She said it was just a magical night. Because she wins this Oscar and she got to meet her longtime idol, Audrey Hepburn. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine.
0: The night I win an and Oscar. And again, time doesn't
1: exist. It's like, what? How is the how's How all Audrey... Nicolas Cage and Cher and Audrey
0: Hepburn at the same event? Again, a fly on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> I would love I would love to be a fly on the wall for that moment. I
1: also love. I show a video of her name being said, and Meryl fucking Streep, which is the only way I can say her name now,
0: because she's a queen,
1: jumps up and is so excited for Cher. She is like, yes, like, just cheering her on. Because
0: uh, Meryl Streep has won a 1,007 I know. She doesn't Oscars. need another one. She doesn't need another one. <laughs> she's like, I'm done. Fuck Oscars. <laughs> but, I mean, is she not the queen? Why have we not done Meryl Streep I don't know. on the show? We're, We're big old up. whores. We're whores.
1: She said in her acceptance speech, I don't think this means I am somebody, but I guess I'm on my way.
0: Oh, (laughs) sweet. That's sweet.
1: So now with her foot firmly in the door (laughs) in Hollywood. (laughs) She's
0: like holding it open while somebody tries to shut it.
1: Exactly. She's like, you know what? I think it's time to make another album. (laughs) (laughs) And in 1989, she released the album Heart of Stone Mm. with its number one hit, If I could turn back time.
0: Perfect. Yep.
1: This is a song written by Diane Warren, and apparently she had to beg Cher to do it. I mean,
0: that song's like my childhood in a box. I love that song.
1: Uh She was like, look, this is the one song I promise you. And Cher was like, I don't want to do it. And she was like, look, I wrote five songs on your album. This is the only one I want you to do. You can get rid of all the other songs. I just want you to do this one. And she was right. <laughs> the song was a huge success. And of course, adding to the song's popularity was the insane music video. <laughs> she is wearing a fishnet bodysuit with a leather thong. I mean, yep. you can see her butt tattoos. And she puts on this leather jacket, like this big leather jacket. And she's on a military ship straddling a cannon surrounded by like thousands of Navy seamen. Listen, it's a look. If you're not going to do it,
0: (laughs) if you're not going to do it, if you're not going to have the Navy seamen (laughs) fishnet you, then what what are you even doing there?
1: It's so great. And
0: her son...
1: Elijah is playing guitar in the music video. So fun. Which is perfect. Yeah. So keep in mind also, she looks amazing and she's 43 when she's making that video. She's a thousand. so. So she's in her 40s. She's obviously like, I'm hot to trot. I'm not going anywhere. And to add to all this controversy surrounding the video, Her affairs with younger men are also getting highly publicized. She's a
0: cougar. She
1: is. She dated Bon Jovi, Val Kilmer, Eric Stoltz, and Tom Cruise. (laughs)
0: They're all penis buddies.
1: All PBs. PB and shares. (laughs) (laughs) PB and shares. so she's doing all this and then at one point also this is like a crazy little side story i didn't even write down because i wasn't sure if it was going to fit but she was dating like this 23 year old italian guy who worked in a bagel shop and so she starts dating him and he is like all of a sudden in all the paparazzi news and they're calling him the bagel boy and it totally flips his life upside down and then he was like I was sitting in my house and I get a call from Cher and she's crying because all the paparazzi want is more pictures of Bagel Boy. And so they're surrounding her car. They're like trying to open her door. Like it's like really aggressive and she's calling him crying. She's like, I don't know what to do. So he's like, I'll be there in a second. This is
0: like Princess Diana. Death oh, era. Yeah. Also. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: He pulls up in a car and like, like almost hits a paparazzi and he's like screaming at them. And then he gets arrested and charged with attempted murder with a deadly weapon
0: get out of here (laughs) because he came to try to save his girlfriend
1: yeah he was like I thought I was defending him he was like you know did I make some mistakes absolutely like should I have like almost hit a paparazzi with my car probably not You know, and he got community service, but, like, it's so funny seeing Cher talk about it. She's like, I mean, people have actually murdered people and gotten, like, less time than, like, he got.
0: Like, Oh, my God. The paparazzi are fucking insane.
1: I know. And it sucked because they did have a really good relationship, but, like, this whole thing... It was too really. Much it for was him. too much. He was, he was a bagel like, boy. he was a fucking bagel boy. He was a bagel boy. <laughs> she was a huge she said, pop star. I'm like, <laughs> um, yeah, it just he like,
0: like good
1: <laughs> it just sucked. I feel really bad because it's. It was like such a genuine relationship, and then it. It just. It fell apart, um, <laughs> which means that people are suddenly becoming very critical of this. Older woman dressed in leather thongs and dating 20-year-olds. And as the early 90s came into focus, so did the tabloids surrounding her seemingly ageless face and body. They started reporting on it and making up that she had had cosmetic surgery on every inch of her body. They were like, well, she's had her belly button done and her calves filled and her ribs removed. And just like all this stuff. Who was- her
0: calves filled <laughs>
1: Who gets their ribs,
0: ribs removed? What? Well, people would f- to be hourglass. Some people Really? Would do. Yeah, you get oh, your lower crazy. ribs removed to oh. be more hourglass. Well, she didn't. Well, because um. also she just, like, has always been thin with a six-pack. It's not like, like, there are people who have, like, a bigger chest and a bigger, like, waist that'll get a rib removed so they look more hourglass. But mm-hmm. Cher has always been very, like... Tall and thin.
1: Right. She's like, I've never been hourglass. Why would I do that? Yeah, why like, would I
0: try to do that? That makes no sense. And she came out and she was like, I'll tell you exactly what I've
1: done. She was like, I've had my boobs done, my nose, and I got my teeth straightened. And like, obviously mm-hmm. she was like, and now I got Botox. Like, right. I'm not ashamed of it. That's very sure. so funny
0: because I've had people accuse me of further surgery than I've gotten. Really? Yeah. So because I am very open about the fact that I get Botox and I've had my boobs done and like this, that, and the other, people would be like, oh, well, she's gotten liposuction. And what? I'm like, no, I just fucking work out. Yeah. Like, now, would I get liposuction? Sure. sure. Yeah. Have I? If I had, I would have told you. Right. Like, I'm very <laughs> open about plastic. but I've had people, like, say that, like, because... Yeah. I've had people say that I've had more done because I had some things because done. Because you had some done. Right. And it's like, if I'm open about it, I'm going to be open I'm, about right. it. Right.
1: Like, I'm not, I wouldn't hide liposuction and tell you that I got breast implants. Right. I'd like, be
0: like, I got liposuction. Have fun with it. Yeah. Do whatever you want to fucking yeah. do. Yeah. So I, I totally feel that with celebrities when it's all over the oh, news. Yeah. I'm like, if it happens to the everyday person, how much shit are we putting oh on gosh. these? Like, yeah, I don't know. And, you know, and she
1: would say to people, she was like, you know, If I was a man, we wouldn't be having these conversations about my relationships and my body. And it wouldn't, I wouldn't, she's like, it wouldn't matter. You mean Taylor Swift? Yeah. She's like, it wouldn't matter if I was 40 dating a 20 year old, if I was a man. I would be clapped, I'd be pat on the back and said, like, good job. Hmm. You're the man. But Cher couldn't be bothered. So she took it in stride. And in 1990, she made another hit film, Mermaids, starring Winona Ryder and Christina Ricci.
0: Again, the same time period. What is happening? I don't
1: understand. Christina Ricci's a hero, um, a true, a
0: true hero of the craft. I love her. Also, wouldn't in a writer, but oh yeah, I love. She's it. about
1: to be in a most powerful season. Halloween time. Listen,
0: <laughs> both of them. Both of them are about to be in the most. Powerful All three season. of <laughs> them. Listen, October is here.
1: Oh, I love it. Shit. So, even though it was a success, filming the movie was difficult, and, like, the first two directors of the film, like, were removed from the project. Like, it didn't work out. Get out. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're firmly in the 90s now, and we need to talk about Chaz. Cher is known as a gay icon now and a champion of LGBTQ rights. Of course. But when Chaz came out as a lesbian in the 90s, Cher did not take it well. She was angry and upset and it was a real fucking problem. Like they said, like she is shocked and appalled. And from what I gather, she was hurt for a couple of reasons. Number one, she felt like she was the last to know. I mean, she described, she was like, I looked at my assistant and I said, did you know about this? And her assistant was like, yeah, I, I did. And she's like, why didn't I fucking know? Like, why didn't I notice that my child is gay? Like what the hell? And then it became public knowledge and people were like, well, this is your fault because you're a bad mother and you were working too much and you weren't around for your child. And this is why this happened. And then she's like, you know, it kind of added to my bad reaction to this. I was like, wow, like I didn't know I was gay. Maybe I caused my child to be gay. Like, maybe this is my fault.
0: But also, like, the 90s were, like, probably, it's very weird. They were, like, the religious backlash to Mm -hmm. the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Like, if you remember, like, all the celebrities that were, like, doing the purity thing. And, like, Mm -hmm. everybody's super anti-gay. And everybody was super, like, you need to be in a youth group. There was so much, like, weird religious shit happening in the 90s that I can't imagine being a parent trying to, like, navigate the waters of... Of anything that's anti like mainstream God.
1: Yeah. Well, and it also it's like, I think for Cher, it was like, I know that my life can be public and messy and whatever, but it was like my kids' life, that's where I, I draw like the line. I, I can't have this affecting Chaz. Obviously they worked through it and Chaz talks in documentaries about how like they were like, you know, my mom is like it it actually made us so much closer because once she was like, oh shit, like I didn't realize that, like, this is a really marginalized group and they actually need help. Cher became one of the most vocal supporters of gay rights and she was the key i mean even as soon as 1997 she was the keynote speaker for the parents families and friends of lesbians and gays um convention and of course she was right by chaz's side when he came out as transgender in 2009 and completed his transition in 2010 Mm. but back in the 90s (laughs) all this is going on so she's dealing with this she did three, actually no, four, like back to back movies. Really, like won an Oscar. Released an album. Went on an insane worldwide tour, and it was just too much. And she got really sick. She was diagnosed with Epstein Barr syndrome and chronic fatigue syndrome. And for a while, she was completely bedridden, which I can't even imagine. Cher, like she's so active and out there. But apparently she even turned down the movie Thelma and Louise during this time. She was supposed to be in that movie. And she's like, I can't. I can't do it. I just can't. So she doesn't work for quite some time. But she needed to make money. So she had a friend who was like, look, I have this hair care line. Why don't you just come on with me do some infomercials? It'll be really low key. It's not a lot of energy. So she's like, okay. So she starts doing these infomercials. And people took it as a sign that Cher's selling out. She was spent. Her career is over. She has nothing else to offer. SNL is making fun of her. Casting directors are like, well, you're not serious anymore. What the fuck are you doing? You're on QVC. And uh, she just can't get any work. It was a really dark period of time for her. She was like, I was sick and I took a fucking break and then I try to come back and be like well you took a break so like we forgot about you and like you're not worth anything you're over now you're over and then the 90s took an even worse turn in 1998 Sunny Bono died suddenly in a skiing accident she was devastated yeah her first love the person who had changed her life was suddenly gone
0: I remember um, that I was spending the night at my grandparents' house, like when that happened. Mm-hmm. And I, my grandparents have both passed at this point, but I remember I knew who Cher was, mm-hmm. and I remember her being devastated and not quite understanding how can you be devastated over somebody dying right. if you were divorced? You broke up, right? You've been not together for decades. Like it didn't make sense to me. And them like explaining to me like the importance of a relationship and like having a relationship with a kid afterwards. And like, I don't know. That was like a moment in my life where I remember somebody being like, there's more to life than just like we were together and now we're not.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Chaz describes it. He was like, I had to call my mom and tell her he was like, you know, dad's dead. And Cher immediately went towards like Chaz. I'm so sorry. Like and comforting Chaz. And then he was like, the conversation went on and suddenly my mom was falling apart and she's devastated. And he was like, I didn't expect that because I thought the same thing. He's like, no, they're broken up. And then it's like, you don't quite get the weight of a life changing relationship. Like I know, like I feel like Dylan was my like kind of like life changing relationship. Right. You know, like I, I changed as a person because of that. And like, if Dylan died, I would be devastated. Absolutely. You know, we don't talk to each other anymore. No. Like, you know, but if he... Like, I would feel completely wrecked if I found out that he passed away. I would feel that way about Mark. Yeah. It just is what it, it is. It just like, is what it is. It's the person who changes your concept of what a relationship is. Right. And I think every, a lot of people have that. For sure. And so she delivered the eulogy at his funeral, which she said... She's literally standing at the mic and she goes, this is probably the most important thing I've ever done in my life. Even though they just had this rocky relationship, you could tell that she loved him so much. And she praised him. She was like, you know, it took a lot of confidence to be the butt of the joke every night when we did our show. She said he was the most unforgettable character I've ever met. And she like is breaking down and Sherrod is not like breaking down in public. And what's really frustrating is that after the funeral, people criticized Cher, saying, why would you do that? Why would you use Sonny Bono's death as a chance for publicity and to get attention? Shut up. She was like, look, I've never had any trouble getting attention. Trust me. This is not the way I typically do it. She was like, I'll take my clothes off. Whatever. I'll wear a leather thong. She was like, I do not cry in public to get attention. That was real. Like, fuck you. But like the phoenix she is, she rose, she the rose. rose from the ashes. And later that year, in October 1998, she released the <laughs> album Believe with the single Believe. Do
0: you believe in life after love? That's a love
1: it is literally the final song of my wedding it's this you know everybody has like this is the last song that's my last song and i'm so excited it's not closing time green day no it's not (laughs) i love this song so so much and it is her best-selling single to date (laughs) and of course she won a grammy for best dance song and just it was solidifying like she is a music legend oh
0: she's an icon she put out songs in more decades than like you know most people
1: oh yeah i mean it's just it's unbelievable um in 1999 at the world music awards she received the legend award for lifelong contribution to music history then to round out the 90s which which what should have been her worst decade Honestly.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. It sucked as hell. (laughs) It sucked.
1: She performed the Star Spangled Banner at the 1999 Super Bowl. (laughs) Wow. In 2010, she was in the movie Burlesque with Christina Aguilera. And the film's soundtrack power ballad, You Haven't Seen the Last of Me, reached number one on the charts in January of 2011, making Cher the only artist to date to have number one singles on the Billboard charts in six consecutive decades from the 1960s to just, to the 2010s fuck the only one
0: six decades the only one what's madonna five decades yeah cuz she okay. came out like the like the 80s yeah so yeah she's got to get one out there
1: also in 2010 <laughs> she will uh, she served as the inspiration for Mother Gothel Entangled, which I did not know.
0: I mean, she looks exactly like her. She looks exactly
1: like her. Um, obviously, she has appeared in movies and TV shows for years, including Will and Grace and Mama Be It Two, Here We Go Again, amongst many others. She still records music with her latest album, Dancing Queen, in 2018, being her twenty-sixth studio album. Of course, she has also been heavily involved in lots of charities and organizations. And all in all, Cher is currently 75 years old, still relevant, and still fabulous. And I would like to end on one of her best quotes because I just couldn't find a place to put it in her story, but I think it's great. It's the thing I named the cocktail after. She was talking in an interview and she goes, a man is not a necessity. A man is a luxury. My mom said to me, You know, sweetheart, one day you should settle down and marry a rich man. And I said, Mom, I am a rich man. And that's Cher so far. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking love it. I'm obsessed with her. I ain't like... So one of the sources I used was a documentary that I had just, like, found on YouTube, like, maybe, like, five years ago. And I was like, I already liked her. Now I'm obsessed with her. She
0: was so so fun. And she is so relevant. Like I said, like, as a child, I remember Sunny and Cher. Mm -hmm. Like, I know that that was a thing. Like, I grew up with it, and I was born in the 80s. And she was, like, famous well before that. And well, like, I was singing her songs well into my teen years. Yeah. She has dominated the life of like myself, my parents, my yeah. grandparents.
1: Everybody like everybody in your life knows Cher. She's so and it's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We have to get into our next story and get new cocktails. Yes, we do. We'll be right back.
0: Ooh. We are back. New cocktails. (laughs) They're such fun cocktails. I think. I think
1: so, too. I mean, they're both,
0: like, pinky and uh, with interesting garnishes. (laughs) Very interesting garnishes. Do you want to know what it is? I do. So this is called Tragedy and Triumph. Ooh, okay. And I combined two actual cocktails. Okay. So this is an Aperol spritz and a dry martini (laughs) in one glass
1: perfect so, so and, wasted yeah an
0: Aperol <laughs> spritz is Aperol and then sparkling wine and then a martini is dry vermouth and gin and then it is garnished with three green olives but served on the rocks on the rocks in a tumbler of glass I love it mm-hmm. yeah i so
2: excited
1: I actually really like it
0: it's a super strong like Aperol spritz right also, I love the,
1: like, saltiness of the olives mixed in with all of this. It's bananas, yeah. and I really like it.
0: <laughs> I tried to take, like, two cocktails or themes that are typically tied to, like, Italian people and just, like, a mix it together the same way you would on a paint palette. Yeah. Like, let's just take everything we've got and throw it at the wall.
1: I love it. I'm also, whew, this is going to get me drunk.
0: Okay. Um I've had exactly an apple today and then the piece of bread that Eliza just gave me.
1: I know, I was like running out of the I I literally was on the road for 4 hours today. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Producers got to bring us food is the number you one thing. I still
1: because I like got home, I was like printing my stuff out. I was throwing leftover cheese balls from the bachelorette party in my mouth and I put a I put a mozzarella cheese string cheese stick in my pocket. And ran out the door. All for you, everybody. All for you. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: we don't need to be doing this.
0: <laughs> okay. So tell me what you know <laughs> about Artemisia Gentileschi.
1: Her name is Artemisia. Okay. That's all I know then. Um, I know now that her name is Artemisia. And other than that, I don't know anything about her. I know she's like a painter. And I think the Renaissance. Yeah. But that's it. I like... I don't have any context for the, this person whatsoever.
0: So, the reason she's on the list is because I've posted about her paintings on our Instagram a couple times. Mm-hmm. So, tonight will be, uh, it's going to have visual aids for you mm. um, with some art. So, I'll be handing some things over and I will post these pictures <laughs> I <love it>. so <laughs> that people have this art. Um, also, if you have any. Um, triggering moments about rape or sexual assault, please be warned that this is not an easy story. Renaissance Italy is not easy for women, not easy for anyone, but particularly women. And we're about to learn about one of the most incredible Renaissance women that nobody knows her name. I'm very excited. It's going okay. to be fun. Okay. And excuse all of my Italian. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: I'm sure it's buongiorno.
0: It sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Artemisia was born in Rome on July 8th, 1593. Although her birth certificate says she was born in 1590. So, girls trying to be three years younger. I don't know. Be like, sure, accept your age. Right. <laughs> Except who you are. Claim your age. <laughs> she was the oldest child of Orazio Gentilecki. And he was a famous painter from Pisa. Now, he's famous at this time. He's not quite acclaimed yet. That'll come later in her life that her dad becomes like a big honcho. Okay. After his arrival in Rome, he reached his peak as a follow of Caravaggio. He's a follower follower of Caravaggio. Okay. And from him he derived a habit of painting real models without idealizing or sweetening them. So it's just like, this is what that person looks like. Also, Caravaggio's very famous for his shadows. So you'll be very familiar with this if you see it in a museum. I'm going to show Katie an example. Now, this is one of Artemisia's examples, but the very shadowed paintings where you can tell where the yes. light is coming from it yes. was very hard to do and it's something that caravaggio did like he was a pioneer of it yes okay so like when people do that it's like an ode to caravaggio okay. and she did it extraordinarily well okay. because it's hard to do okay um so she was baptized 2 days after being born her mother died though in 1605 when she is like 12 years old so she starts posting up in her father's workshop showing much more enthusiasm and talent than all of her many brothers who are sitting there learning alongside her she learns drawing and mixing colors and how to paint and her dad is like out and about bragging about all of this (laughs) he's like she's so fucking good and after three years He's like, she has no peer. There's no (gasps) peer around town that is like as good as her. Mm. While she's like learning from her dad, she's kind of becoming a workshop assistant. And everybody in the family, like I said, including her brothers, are like, she surpasses our talent. But he didn't really want to build her career. That's not what you did with women back then. The point was not to make them better. He wanted her to serve him, like be his assistant, bring me my paints, do me my this, do that. But information keeps getting passed on to her from his teacher or the person he followed, Caravaggio. Women were not supposed to, even if they were sitting in art studios, go through the classic education, though. It was like, you don't get to sit and paint based off of still models. You can bring me my paints, you can paint in your free time, but you can't paint whatever you want and you can't actually learn. So she has no studio practice at all. Also at this point in time in Rome, um, women were in danger and they Mm. were really vulnerable. Um, young women couldn't really go out at all without supervision and they had to stay mostly indoors to say state to stay safe. And this is women of any status, whether they're super wealthy or super poor because Virginity was a necessity in society. So she's chaperoned literally everywhere because if she loses her virginity, it's not only bad for her, it's bad for her family. Yeah. So most single fathers, because he was a single dad and her mom's dead, would put their daughters, they would keep their sons, but they would put their daughters in convents. <sighs> But he was like, she's got so much talent, I'm like not really willing to get rid of her. Mm-hmm. So he's like, no, I'm going to keep her here. He probably did it because of her talent. And also, like, he would take her on these field trips around town to visit churches because churches were like the museums. They had the big, like, massive paintings that were mm-hmm. commissioned mm-hmm. from artists. So it's like, let's go look at this church and this amazing painting. Mm-hmm. Let's go look at this church and this amazing painting. But she is barely educated and trained and is just becoming like her father's model. Like, sit okay. in this chair and hold this thing. Bring me this. Do this. But even so, she's developing her own style. And nobody really knows where it's coming from. So even though her dad's not giving her any education, she's figuring out how to paint on her own. Okay. Most women painters at this time are painting puppies and flowers <laughs> and like Madonna on the rocks and it's like a classic, right? Like, oh, you know, Mary, mother of Jesus, what a heroine. But she is doing these huge historic paintings of like religious subjects and historic subjects and... She's becoming a historic painter, which is not something women were allowed to do. It was out of the re- realm of womanhood. So people believed that men were capable of original art and thought and talent. And at best, women could be good copies of male <sighs> art. I feel
1: like we've seen that for so long of like women can copy what men do. But they can't do But they it. can't do.
0: Right. And they were like, okay, so maybe women can do portraits, but no historic and religious stuff. That's ridiculous. Nothing that requires
1: any sort of interpretation.
0: Right, because what are they gonna interpret the female side of the story? And that is not <laughs> what men that's want. Not what want. And that's what she does. They're like, get that bullshit out of here. <laughs> ding ding ding. So our little teenage baby in this art studio of her father in 1610, comes up with her first known painting, and it is of Susanna and the two elders. Now, this is a story from the Bible. It's the 13th chapter of Daniel. It's not usually told because it tells makes men look bad, but <laughs> it's these two elders who approach Susanna and proposition her for sex. And they're like, we'll pay you for this sex. And then they, like, make her look bad. Usually, when men paint it, they make the woman look like a sultry temptress. And, like, she was bribing the men into sex. But that's clearly not what the Bible says. Yeah. This is in the fucking Bible. It tells this story. And she, as a teenage girl, and a free spirit, paints this. I want to see. So this is a teenage girl. These men are kind of yelling at her. She's forcibly nude. Yeah. um, And she is distraught. Yeah. She's upset. She is literally like, I like
1: the image too of like, they are coming over a wall to talk to her and she is below it. And she is like, don't fucking talk to me. She's She's shunning them and pushing them away. Yes. Like the story says it, like, yeah, she's painting what it really is and not the male fantasy of what it is.
0: And this is, um, pretty uncomfortable because it showed a victimized young woman. Mm-hmm. And in the painting, you are supposed to sympathize with the woman, yeah. It was bold, it was a bold move for a teenage girl to yeah. paint a subject like that. It's considered actually. One of the most natural breasts ever in art history. Mm -hmm. There are like crinkles at the nape of her armpit, like Mm -hmm. little crow's feet, like where you would see on a woman's body. Her boob is teardropped. It's not like round or like flat. It's like very, this is how a woman's body looked, which is what men couldn't do because they couldn't use nude women models. Yeah. yeah. So
1: she's getting the real, real.
0: She really, really (laughs) is. (laughs) So, obviously, she's portraying these men as harassing her with a plan to rape her and blame her for adultery. The painting is very unique and focuses on the horror and distress of Susanna rather than the men. Do we know, like, is is the original of this painting still around? Do we know? Yes. Okay. All of the, the paintings I'm referencing tonight were just in 2020. <sighs> put in a showcase in London to honor her because most of the paintings were attributed to her dad or his um, students until the last about couple decades. So we're just finding out (laughs) that she existed and that she painted all of these. Oh shit. Okay. This is like brand new. Okay.
1: Breaking news. Beep, 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 beep. Okay. Breaking news. Brand new deeds. She was fucking doing it.
0: And her art does not change. It is all stories of history of women. From the female perspective. Disenfranchised from the female perspective. And London was just like, let's put all these together in one showcase. Okay, Artemisia, I'm all in. I'm all in. (laughs) Everything's on the table now. Everything's (laughs) on the table. This is getting wild. Okay the next year her dad's like I'm still a painter you're still a painter but like I'm struggling to make it big but this guy's coming into town <laughs> his name's Augustino Totsi and <laughs> hot he's to Totsi okay to he is the shithead producer that was in uh, your story
1: uh, Phil Spector okay. okay he's gonna
0: be big old dick boy the dick who holds
1: the keys we hate him okay
0: so her dad's like i need to get some commissions and this dude comes in he's a skis ball he comes into their home questionable at best and her dad's like look help me out help me get some commissions he does then her dad becomes like big time and then he's like oh and you know what my daughter's pretty talented too more talented than me. Shh. Yeah. Shh. Don't tell anybody. Um, but her talent has surpassed mine. So, like, can you teach her drawing and perspective? Because I can't teach her that. I told her all I can do. Okay. You teach her the other stuff. And at best, her dad was making a bad decision. At worst, he's trying to force a marriage proposal. So, <gasps> we're trying to figure this out. She is a teenage, beautiful girl with a lot of talent. Like
1: the worst thing you can be in the 1500s. <laughs>
0: in the Barack period.
1: <laughs> the worst thing you can be now, frankly. Yeah. Like, you uh, know, still according to some people. Young, it's like
0: talented, and beautiful. Hi, Adam here, Olivia hide Rodrigo. Your hide your wives. Uh, <laughs> hide your Olivia Rodrigos. But they're um, out. <laughs> um, so Tatsy makes it very clear to everyone in town that he's, quote, tutoring her, this young, beautiful, talented woman. And on May 6th, 1611, Totsi rapes Artemisia. <gasps> no. She was a virgin. Fuck. He took her by force. He was not, she was not strong enough to get him off of her. She pulled his hair. She scratched his face. She kicked him, but he kept going. And when he was finally done, she did get a knife and threaten him and said that she would make him pay. But This was not over for her because her dad didn't know, and he was her tutor. So he kept pressuring her, and the honor of herself and her family is on her shoulders. (sighs) The only way out of this is if he marries her, and he kept saying he would if she, he let him back in her bed. Like, if you have sex with me again, I'll marry you. If you just keep, don't tell your dad and I'll marry you. And he's a much older man and she is a young woman. Um, So she's trying to save her family from horror. At this time, very unfortunately, rape was a crime against your father, not against the woman. So this went on for a year before her dad finds out. And he's obviously furious because his daughter is dishonored and now unmarriable. And Totsi had told everyone in town that he fucked her. And um, now he's going to have to give up his professional life because everybody in Rome is laughing at him. But her dad, to his credit, is not going to let this fly. And her dad's a big douchebag. But he's not going to let this fly. Um, So... The only reason we know all of these dates and events is because there is a seven-month court case with 300 pages of preserved testimonial what? about all of this.
1: I'm shocked. I feel like a lot of women don't even get that justice today.
0: Right. You'll be sad to find out why. Oh, no. Okay. The reason that you could sue somebody for rape of a virgin was destruction of property. <sighs> So her dad could sue because she was a virgin that was raped. If she was not a virgin, then there is no court case. <sighs> and the only thing you can sue for is A, to marry her, or B, to pay her dowry to someone else. <sighs> so there's that little it's piece Just of, it's just like disappointing news.
1: It's just so upsetting. It's just like women as a financial commodity for so long, you know, and I can't help but like equate it to like, you know, like we're talking about pop stars right now with Cher, but like with like Britney Spears and like Britney Spears is a financial commodity for people, right? For her family, for her father, like a financial commodity, something that I could, this is my thing to make money on. This is not a person, and she was under eighteen when yeah. she
0: started and didn't you know, yes it's
1: i also i i don 't know if this is like an apt like comparison, but like Totsi kind of feels to me like if Gaston was a rapist. like if obviously like that storyline like went a horrible direction, like
0: the power dynamic the, is off, yes, I kept thinking of the Clinton lewinsky thing Yes. Where like for some of the time she was having sex with him yeah but it's because he was threatening her and like in charge of her and like i could make you great yeah and it's like
1: there's a power there's a shift in the power dynamic that we can't ignore and you can't get
0: you she couldn't control it as a as a young girl she's a teenage girl
1: no exactly and that's the whole problem it's like we're talking about different power dynamics and the effect that that has on Not only everyday relationships, but especially relationships like this. And I hate to even... I'm using relationship in the actual, like, Webster's Dictionary term. Like, one thing correlating to another. (laughs) Like, this is not a consensual relationship. This is frustrating.
0: But then, this young girl is in a seven-month court case in front of the entire town. In front of everyone she knows, which is Rome. But, um... Ortizio, her dad, needed to prove the value of his daughter's virginity, and he had to prove that it was intact before totsi So, obviously, she has to get examined. Totsi claimed that she was not a virgin, and that he was the latest in her string of conquest, and he humiliated her in public by weaving this web of lies and bribing witnesses to come and be paid to say that they had slept with her and to redeem herself there was one thing she could do in court the only way you could prove you were telling the truth was under torture because if you told the same story when they were torturing you oh my God. then they believed it to be true so she decided to risk her hands as a painter. Oh my God. Under thumb screws, which <sighs> are, it's like these two discs with a thing in the middle and they have spikes on them. And they put them around your thumbs and then they twist it till the things press in on your body while you're on the stand in front of the judge and everybody in Rome. <sighs> So they're twisting this tighter and tighter as they question her. And she gives the same testimony with no hesitation. And Totsi was convicted. <gasps> no. He was convicted. What? He was found guilty.
1: I, again, that doesn't even happen like today a he lot of times that w- men are
0: convicted of rape. Like that is of so, rape. Wow. Now, don't get too excited. Okay, I I won't. (laughs) I'm sorry. I forget. Because he was exiled and he didn't serve any time because he had a lot, a lot of money. And then we also come to find out that, his whole promise about marrying her could have never come true because he was already married to his first wife for raping her. No, And <gasps> her wife's lover had paid him to leave town. Fuck, he's <laughs> the worst! Oh my gosh, he's not hot to Trotsy. He's the worst to Trotsy. I hate yeah. him. <laughs> we hate him. We hate him a lot. Fuck. oh my um, god. But he serves no time. So she's traumatized, of course. But her hands eventually heal. And her father sets her up with an arranged marriage between... Herself. And the the lawyer's brother. So her lawyer's brother is like, I'll marry her. She seems cool.
1: <laughs> She's pulling a fucking Casey Anthony. You know yeah. Casey Anthony did uh, that? Oh, yeah. So she started dating her defense lawyer. At some point, you got it. She's a murderer! <laughs> uh, okay. Yes, but not
0: Amanda Knox. Maybe She's we'll, not. Maybe we'll do her next year. Yeah. <laughs> next you do Casey Anthony. I'll do Amanda Knox. I
1: next. would love to do Casey Anthony. And I would love to do Amanda Knox. All right. Next <laughs> Halloween, you heard it here first.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so she with this new guy relocates to Florence and she could move freely in Florence as a married woman in a place that's more relaxed than Rome. Her husband is like a brand new passport. She's like this passport to freedom. And better yet, her dad can't come because he's kind of a dick and okay. Florence doesn't want him. <laughs> Florence is like, stay home, old man. We just Florence want your is like, daughter. Florence like, you know what, get the
1: fuck out of here. We don't want you. Right.
0: But he <laughs> hooks his daughter up at the court in Florence. Now- Interestingly enough, there are a ton of powerful, important women in Florence for her to vibe off of. So okay. Now she's like learning how to be her own independent woman. So her reputation's definitely tarnished, but because of that, there's like a spotlight on her. People are a little interested. Oh. They're like, who's this new woman? This like, th- this torture girl from the stands that's coming to Florence. And they're like, ready to see her. So Florence pretty much emancipated her from like this life. She was living in Rome. She's listening to music. She's reading science and literature. The Renaissance is the rebirth, right? Uh Like she's learning. She's actually becomes friends with Galileo. Not a joke. She like, Becomes friends with him. Oh,
1: my gosh. I have no context for when Galileo was around, but this makes me really happy. Okay, so they were around. Okay, Now her
0: and Galileo are talking about the universe and, like, the sun (sighs) is the center of it, not the earth. Like, this is great. Round earth theory. Everything's good. So, furthermore, she starts to use the tragedy to elevate herself, which is why the cocktail is called Tragedy to Triumph. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: she's using it to throw into paint. She okay. takes her sadness and is like I'm just gonna like fix it. So there's a lot of avid patrons in Florence who want Carvigio's style, and she's like, I can fucking do Carvaggio.
1: Like, <laughs> you I some shadows and light, baby. I, I can do that. I actually,
0: like I actually worked under him and my dad, so like I can <sighs> do it better than
1: Carvaggio to Los Angeles. I can fucking do it <laughs> all, like, baby. Let him. I got it. I got yes. it.
0: So she next paints. Judith beheading her off her knees. Pull off her knees. I know this story well. This is another Bible story. (laughs) Yes. She loves a Bible story. And in the Old Testament, there's an enemy camp that is surrounding the Hebrew people. And they're going to surrender. And this beautiful widow sneaks into the, the army camp at night. And she... Gets him drunk and uh-huh. beheads him. Uh-huh. Now, My favorite Bible story. <laughs> it's so good. Now, Caravaggio. I will be clear, he painted this as well. But his blood looks like red ribbons, like, coming out of his neck. And she had the, and it's like, uh, the women and other people who painted this look like they're delicate. Her women are like, there's two of them. Holding him down and sawing his fucking neck off. And his blood is splattering and spraying and smearing. And it's very, very dark. I'm handing it to Katie. Can't wait Uh, to see this.
1: Yes, bitch. They are going at it. She literally has a look like, yeah, I'm doing this in her mustard yellow dress, which I also very much appreciate. But the blood, it is spattering. He has a look of, oh, God, I fucked up. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I love this. This
0: is a very famous painting.
1: It is one of my favorite stories just because it is like this example of like women were not given much agency. And then it is like, well, you know what I can fucking do? I can fucking lure this asshole in my camp and fucking murder him. So, like,
0: that's what I can do. I'm really good at it. I'm cute. I'm cute. I'm hot. I have a knife. (laughs) What more do you want in a woman? (laughs) I can can march around Jericho (laughs) a thousand times, but I can cut that bitch's head off.
1: (laughs) And I love that Artemisia is like, you know what? I know exactly how it feels to want to cut someone's head off.
0: (laughs) Well, it's very funny because she has two versions of this painting.
1: Oh, two. Okay. So
0: there's one. I showed you the one, the professional one that is in museums. Like the
1: public one.
0: There is one that she painted as practice while she was going through the court case. (gasps) When she was a teenage girl, right? So she's feeling all these feelings about wanting to murder this man who's like obviously terrible. Um, And she lets it out in her art. Now, she follows this story through a lot of her paintings. There's paintings with Judith with his head in a basket, like leaving the place. There's paintings of like, (sighs) she's got this whole like, she's got a comic strip. She's literally like,
1: Judith is like, little town full (laughs) of headless (laughs) men. Every day. like the one I've beheaded before. Exactly, she is literally carrying around his basket, singing to the bread maker. It's so fun.
0: <laughs> it's so
1: fun. Okay, I know I've been drinking, but I'm so fucking into her. I need six eggs.
0: That's too expensive.
1: <laughs> yeah. The must be mo- <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry.
0: She's so good.
1: Let's just say it, Emma Watson. Belle, (laughs) we're just doing it all. Paige O'Hara is the original voice. Let's put that in there. Thank you for saying it. I was going to say Judy Benson, but (laughs) I know that she's Ariel. I know she's
0: (laughs) Ariel. Paige (laughs) O'Hara,
1: we're here. Paige O'Hara, we are here for you and we love you. And I also,
0: (laughs) I might eat some of that pasta. Eliza, make us pasta. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So she's becoming famous for painting Historic and fictional and non-fictional. Women. Ah, She could have been on this show. Just like She is on this she's show. She's running the fucking gamut. She's okay. on it. So she's <laughs> becoming famous for this. And this is, sadly, and it's what a lot of women who triumph over rape, they're dealing with this terrible experience and this pain, and they take the art and they create these characters. Um sometimes her like forceful aggression would come out on other people and like people would complain about her being angry like servants in her house and stuff but she's just like she's all violence and she's all in on like this is what i'm gonna do and what i'm gonna show so in 1670 her transformation's complete She's buddy, buddy with Galileo. Okay. She's supporting her four fucking children. She had in the meantime with her husband and she's supporting her husband because he's making no money. She's the moneymaker. She's the breadwinner. She's the breadwinner of this family. He's her agent because she's not allowed to do anything without him. He has to negotiate her contracts. He has to buy her paints. She's not allowed to do any of that as a mm. woman at the time. So, She does actually have a certain amount of freedom because she can say to him, like, bitch, I pay your bills. Like, so he has to give her, like, a little leeway. And they do. It is a good relationship. Like, they do like each other. It's not all terrible. Mm -hmm. But then she's the first woman ever accepted into this super prestigious Academy of Fine Arts in Italy. This membership made her legally equal to men. (laughs) Legally equal because she was accepted. It's like being in the masters. So now she uh, can do her own contracts. She can have her own passport. She can travel by herself. She can buy her own colors. And she is, from this point forward in history, technically a man. It feels
1: like she is Drew Barrymore at 15 being like emancipated, like
0: like, technically a man because finally
1: like I have the legal status that I actually deserve for being as like fucking mature and like independent as I am.
0: And it's so wild to somebody be given manhood. Like, like, yeah, that's a weird thing to be gifted. Yeah. And it's like, the, that's how unequal we are. Yeah. That, <laughs> that you have to be given manhood. I hate that. Oh, it hurts my that's, soul.
1: Yeah. That's the worst. Okay.
0: But finances are, of course, still hard. She's a mom. She's supporting her husband, who's not a man, while she's a man. (laughs) While she's she's a man. She's
1: more of a a man than his man.
0: (laughs) And the debts are piling up. She's painting all the time. She's having a baby a year. She's a professional working mom. (laughs) And then, like, one of her key patrons is, like, dying of tuberculosis. And she's just frustrated that she doesn't have any time to paint what she wants to paint. She can only paint what people want her to paint. So then she's in Florence still, obviously that's where she went to marry her husband and several of her children die and she is just in unbearable pain. She's like, my babies are dying. (sighs) Everything's the worst. And she's like, I'm going back to Rome, the city that humiliated me, but I'm going to go back as a great painter. Mm. So she's heading home. She gets home and her dad's like, what the fuck are you doing here? I don't want you back. You're you're an like, embarrassment. Nobody needs you here. You you're in debt. You were supposed to come back rich. If you came back at all, like what the fuck are you doing? And you came back without any of your painting inventory. You just left your great art in Florence. You psycho. Um, <laughs> So they're fighting for like weeks and weeks. Eventually it chills out, but everybody's talking about like shit being thrown around their house and like them screaming at each other for a long period of time. But her marriage is floundering and it did not survive much longer. She could divorce him with her status. Really? Oh, because she's a man. She's a man. Okay. So um, she leaves him in the shadows. <laughs> <laughs> Um, And it was just done. And she's also kind of having this extramarital affair with this other guy that she's not married to. So she's just kind of, like, running her own man game. There's lots of rumors about her, though. And I don't want to cloud the rumors. Like, she definitely had sex with someone else because she has another baby and we don't know the father.
1: But
0: she's not, like... There, People are talking about her running the town like she's a fucking Cleopatra, Mm -hmm. who also didn't run the town. So, Mm -hmm. like, very unfair. But in Rome at this point, even though they shunned her before, talent opens doors, and people are seeking her out. So she starts to paint other famous female historical and religious characters. One being uh, Lucretia, who is a woman who committed suicide after um, Mm -hmm. being raped. And she decides instead of painting her as a weak woman with the dagger in her body to paint her in the moment of resolution. (sighs) I am choosing to kill myself right now instead of shaming my family. She's not crying. No, she's not in pain. She is grabbing her boob and yep. about to stab herself.
1: Yeah. Well, it's interesting too because in the picture, of course, like obviously Artemisia is very good with light, and her body is lit up and her face is lit up, and it's she is not regretting a second of this in the in the in the portrait. Yeah. And it's interesting because the dagger is almost invisible. Like, you wouldn't know it was there if not for, like, the little faintest, like, hint of it. But, yeah, she's grabbing her breast and she's like, you know what? I'm fucking done with this.
0: Pa In my heart.
1: I love it because even though, like, she is making a really difficult decision, she's a woman making a decision. Right.
0: I was raped and I'm not going to deal with it. Yeah. And I think Artemisia really heavily identifies with it. And yeah. then she paints one of the most famous suicides that may have not been a suicide of all time, Cleopatra. Mm. But instead of painting Cleopatra the moment before, which we all love, she decides to paint Cleopatra the way men have never painted her, which is after. Mm. Because Cleopatra, much like Artemisia, was painted as a whore. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: And what she did was decide to make Cleopatra weak and mm. show how she was alone. And there's this asp on her bed, which is obviously the story. And these maids are running in and finding her. But she's just soft. Yeah, Cleopatra's soft, which is something we don't see Cleopatra as. So she's writing her own females into history. Yeah. And... We see her and like
1: the snake is on her bed and the women who are portrayed in the painting finding her, I feel like she painted them so purposefully being like, I'm not fucking surprised. Yeah. Like one is like, shit, fuck, like there she is. And another one is like having like a rag to her face, like, wiping her tears away, like, I wish it wasn't like this. Right. And you can tell that, like, this is from a much more sympathetic angle of, like, this is the decision that some women make. And, like, this is how other women feel about it because they fucking know how bad it is. How bad it is.
0: And it's just the stories we didn't get in art during the Renaissance period because there was nobody telling it from the woman's point of view. No, there wasn't. And then I think we need to talk nudes. (laughs) Her paintings obviously portray a lot of very, very naked women. And it's one of the tell marks that you have an Artemisian painting. Because they're more realistic than her male counterparts. If you look at naked female bodies in the Baroque period, you can tell none of them have ever had sex. (laughs) Or if they did, they weren't looking. (laughs) And we know that the naked bodies of these women are modeled, like I said, in the physical over Artemisia looking in the mirror at what she looks like. Yeah. I do love like,
1: (laughs) I remember when they brought the Da Vinci exhibit to Baltimore And they're like, he really didn't know what a vagina looked like.
0: Like, he was really
1: grasping at straws. He should have
0: contacted Georgia O'Keeffe.
1: He was trying to ignore it at all costs.
0: And one really famous one, this is um, Cupid over Venus. And it's just a very, like, this is most likely what she Mm. felt her body looked like, what she felt a full female nude body. Yeah looked like and it's just it's so average as a human yeah that's what a female body looks like today
1: i mean like one boobs up one boobs down <laughs> i mean every <laughs> there are her, her, curves have and creases she's, yeah <laughs> she's not chair that's for damn sure yeah.
0: um. she just looks so normal just like a yeah. normal woman's naked body laying yeah. on a bed which is people knew And that's the funny thing about Italy and Rome is they knew this was real and they appreciated it and they liked it. They were like, we understand that this is what a female body looks like. So... What she did was transform herself from an untrained teenage artist to a sophisticated talent that ran in crowds with dukes and princes and nobles. She had commissions from cardinals and churches, and she was making her weight in gold on portraits. But the problem was big public commissions still only went for males. No one is offering her a large church or the side of a building or the ceiling of a fancy house. So she's like, you know what? I'm just going to go to Venice. But then we don't know anything about what happened in Venice. So (laughs) then she left Venice and she's like, I'm going to go to Naples. So Naples at this point is controlled by Spain and there's a lot of artists there and there's lots of viceroys and they're taking every art they can find back to the king of Spain, who's the biggest art collector in history. He owned all the shit. Every art you see in a gallery owned was owned by the king of Spain. So in Naples, she decides to start a school. (gasps) and artemisia has her little academy where she's training painters um and you know it's not enough hours in a day that she's like i'm gonna call my brothers and help them get them to help me with my business but then they're shitheads because they don't want to be secretaries and they just like take ah. her, they take her paintings and sell them and then don't give her the money <sighs> Because they're asses. The worst. Then she needs even more help. But the problem is Naples is like high ballers, shit callers. Like the competition in Naples is crazy. People would like, if you got commissioned for a building, people would come in the middle of the night and saw off the legs of your scaffolding. (gasps) Or like they would put acid in your paints so that your shit would look wild.
1: That happened to Paige.
0: They they ruined her shit. Tell us about it. Okay, I need to
1: know. My best friend Paige. She's a fucking muralist. Okay. Aunt Paige, Aunt Bitch, whatever you want to call her. The best. The best person ever. She painted this big bridge this week. Like, so recently. Beautiful. She had literally just finished it. And someone came in the middle of the night. Tagged and, it? And tagged it.
0: Bitch ass piece <gasps> of shit. Hate it. <laughs> She's like, what the fuck? Because, like, like,
1: also, like, Paige knows the graffiti artists around Baltimore. She's like, who fucking did this? She's so like, I will fucking come for you. The last time someone tagged one of her murals, she called him out and he bought her. He was like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know this was yours. And she made him pay for paint to
0: to fix fix it. it. Better. <laughs> better, you fucking better because like that's not cool. No, this is something I worked so no. hard on. Tag the side of a blank fucking building. Tag Why? literally anything else. There's but so this much giant shit. piece that I Th- did. There's so many trains in Baltimore. Tag a side of a train.
1: Come on, and especially something that's so fresh, like be something a gutsy has just, just finished. finished. That's
0: so rude. I know. There's art. Like, mm. yeah. I thought about Paige so much in this story about like. The idea of a female artist and just like writing your own story and like how you are like trying to get the big public commissions, but people don't want it for your style, exactly. And it's like, no, my style is fucking good, and you better like it.
1: Yeah, well, and I know like there are some people like, well, yeah, we want you to paint it, but we want you to do like an oriole bird and this and that. And she's like, I don't paint birds. There's someone else, there's another artist that does that and you can hire them. And that's not me. If you want my style, you can hire me. Right. But if not, then you can fuck off. Like right. hire the person that does the work that you want. Because
0: chances are, there's a person out there who needs the work that can do that. Right. And there are so many fucking buildings and things to be painted. Like, yes. let's give our local artists more money. and Let's let diversify it. it. Let's
1: diversify the mural game. Not one muralist has to paste, paint all of Baltimore. Right.
0: Like, yeah. It's so amazing. And it's like, this is what this woman is trying to do. In in the Baroque period, in the Renaissance, she's like, I want to paint a church. and nobody, nobody will let her paint a church or a ceiling. She's like, you know what? It's
1: Baroque, and I have to fix it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I want to paint Jesus reaching out for for God. I want to paint that, but nobody's letting me paint that. Nobody wanted women to paint history or Bible. And she's like, but that's what I want to paint. So... She's not intimidated by these Naples ass bitches putting acid <laughs> in her paint. These nabs, <laughs> Naples ass bitches, Naples ass bitches. <laughs> and she writes to the lords of Naples and's like, "How do you feel about me carrying arms? Because women weren't allowed to like have the rights to arms." And they're like, "Sure." So she carries a sword from then on. In <laughs> Naples, she gets the right to bear arms as a woman. Jesus and Christ! Naples, she's crazy. <laughs> okay. So the fashion for Caravaggio painting starts to wane. But she says, fine, and moves on to a new style. She's flexible. She's unpredictable. (laughs) She's the head of a household. She's the head of a school. She finally has public commissions now coming in. People are like, we want to hire you to do this, that, and the other. But absolute exposure is when they're like, we're – Really going to hire you for public commissions. Like I said, I'm going to get recognized forever. This is a must. I need to be remembered for all time. I'm super flattered. People are writing poems about her and how beautiful she is and how talented she is. They're so upper class. She has her two daughters. Now they're the two surviving daughters, one from her first husband and one from another guy that we don't know. And this would typically be a scandal. No single woman would raise a bastard baby without giving your baby to nuns. And she was like, nah, I'm just going to keep it and raise it by myself. (sighs) And everybody was like, okay, okay, whatever you want, girl. Because she does what she wants. At this point, it's 1637. She's raised enough money for her older daughter's dowry by herself, has money for the dowry. Then she um, is invited to London by Charles I, and he's like, I want to give you a chance to paint for me, and nobody from Italy wanted to go to London because it's foggy as fuck and it's great in Italy and, like, hot in summer, mm-hmm. but it must have been a lot of money because she goes there and she knows her dad's there, and she's like, I don't fucking want to be with him. Mm-hmm. But she get there and her dad's not doing well because he's resented by local painters and he's super old. So kind of together they get offered to do the ceiling of um, like Henrietta's Greenwich house. And they do. And it's fucking really great. It's like one of those paneled ceilings with like the clouds and the Jesus and the this and the mm-hmm. that. Still today nobody knows which one panels she did and which ones her dad did. But you know, it doesn't matter because they did it together. Right. They did do it together, and everybody knew they did it together. It wasn't, like, a big deal. It wasn't a secret. It wasn't
1: like he was trying to take
0: credit for all of it. No. They went in, they did it together, and it was, like, great. And then in 1639, her dad dies suddenly, and after his death, she returns to Naples where one of her daughters is getting married. But the magic was kind of gone for her. The fire mm -hmm. had burnt out. She had been struggling her whole life, and she's getting less and less commissions and she said and I quote if I was a man you wouldn't treat me like this but she never stopped painting to her death her last known work was Susanna and the elders again so she did her first painting a second time for the last time The experience of being female more than being raped, I think was what was important to her because she painted the experience of being female before she was even raped. She was thought to have died in 1656 because of the plague in Naples, but no one knows for certain. We think she was about 63 years old. Much of her work was attributed to her father or rapist after Mm -hmm. her death, Um, And a lot has been corrected now, and she's renowned as a great master of the Baroque period, which Mm. is a title given only to men who have painted several masterpieces. In 2020, a painting of David sitting on Goliath's slain head was revealed to be Artemisia's (gasps) because her name was painted across the butt of Goliath's sword, which oh, no one had seen, fuck, it is cool it is it was previous, it's like she's him, like i'm going to
1: slay you with this, but not right now
0: sitting on Goliath's head, and David is like lounging on the sword oh. of Goliath, and like her name is across the butt of the sword, but you can 't see it until we restored it oh. um and it was previously attributed to a student of her father, but it 's hers from when she was much younger. Um, and the finding was good timing because, as we said earlier, London was unveiling the first major showcase of her work. She was a great painter who disappeared from history until the 20th century. She was reinstated as the first lady of Baroque paint, and she's finally understood and rediscovered in all her collections of art. She's considered the first woman to make a living through painting ever, and because of her true scandals in the (laughs) Renaissance Roman life. She's now considered among the masters of the Baroque period, and she's inspiration to many women and artists, not just because of her art, but because she told the stories of people whose stories were not being told and is telling them in a way that is not perceived in history. That's Artemisia's story. Okay, this could not have worked out better. Can you believe it? I
1: can't. It's because a- I literally just, like, saw her name and I was like, well, put her with Cher because Cher can carry an episode on her own. <laughs> and meanwhile, Artemisia is, like, blowing Cher out of the fucking water. Can you believe and it? I wasn't
0: expecting that. I didn't either. I started the research because I've seen some of her paintings and then I was like, motherfucker, this bitch is wild.
1: Okay. So now... We absolutely need to get into the final segment of this show where we talk about both women in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. Okay. Let's talk about
0: the quotes. I'm a rich man versus if I'm a man, you wouldn't treat me like this. And even when she, even
1: when Cher was going through her time period, she was like, everyone's talking about her plastic surgery. And she's like, if I was a man, you wouldn't be talking about this. They both had the thought, if I was a man, my life would be fucking easier. Which is so
0: annoying. She, like, we would have known her name in history. She's yeah. one of the most famous Baroque, baroque, period, <laughs> baroque, bar, 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 baroque <laughs> period painters. Yeah. Like, all those paintings I showed you tonight, we've all seen before. We've all seen, yeah. We yeah. know these yeah, paintings. Yeah. But, like, mm-hmm. we don't mm-hmm. know who did them. No. We didn't know. Okay. Let's talk about their marriages that were great and then fell apart. We have to talk about that. Yes. Okay. So they're both with this in this early marriage. Mm-hmm. And I think Artemisia felt very saved by this guy in Florence. Yes. She felt very like, this is my escape from Rome and this rape story. And I think Cher had a very similar experience with Sonny. Oh, she this absolutely a, did. It's a fresh start. And they weren't bitter at these men when they divorced. There's no, 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 no bitter relationship. It's just this helped me get from A to B, and now I need to go to C. Yeah. And that's
1: never been, again, that's never been a problem for men, but it has been a problem for women because for women, it's like you're using him. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. (laughs) It's like men use women all the time. Right. It's like, can we talk about that? Like, I feel like they were so ahead of their time that they were like, yeah, I'm not concerned about like men's feeling like. I don't think they're not concerned with feeling, people's feelings, but I feel like they're like, no, I'm not concerned with like the conventionality of like men's feelings about me right now. Because you know what? That all got fucking shattered at an early age mm. because you had these men that came into their life and um, kind of fucked it up. You know, like you have Totsi coming in who is all sorts of, the worst. The worst. And, you know, you have people in Cher's life that, like, aren't the best. You know, maybe not all of them are the worst. Phil Specter's obviously the worst. But, I like, wrote
0: down Phil Spector immediately.
1: I mean, you have these asshole producers. These men who are trained from a young age to come in and be like, you're the master. So come in and... Use women at your discretion. Well, is and the then Roman the, Empire not Hollywood? Yes, it is. And then you have these men who were taught that, like, in this society, in Hollywood, in the Roman Empire, you can use women at your discretion and then you can get rid of them. And then you have women coming up that aren't going to take that shit. Like, you have Ronnie Greenfield who, like... Eventually did escape Phil Spector. Right. And like when on is to no. Tell her story. Like Ronnie went on to tell her story and expose him because if she hadn't of escaped and told her story, we wouldn't have known. How we would have known like, you know, we would have had this little story that maybe would have been not noticed because it without Ronnie, you wouldn't have known that like Cher being like, no, I'm not going to fucking sleep with you. You weirdo. That wouldn't have made an impact. Right. Without Ronnie telling people about him. And then you wouldn't have the impact of Artemisia going to court for something. Like
0: how powerful is that to be like, I'm a 17 year old girl. And I know, I know there there's a power dynamic between her dad being like, I lost this property, but she didn't get that power dynamic. Mm -hmm. She had to say, I'm willing for you to torture me. Mm hmm. In order for me to prove I'm innocent. Because at that point, everybody thought she was lying because he said she was lying. Yeah. It was a he said, said, she said situation. Well, it's always been that way. I mean, you had that with Cher. Like, I feel like Cher was going through the same
1: thing of, like, I'm actually expressing some real emotion right now over the death of Sonny Bono, and you're telling me that I'm faking it. Right. And I feel like both of these women were like, no, I will tell you first and foremost what I'm doing they were both very honest
0: I mean about their thing. full force naked women on canvases the size of my wall and like everybody was like I don't know (laughs) yeah exactly you're telling the truth
1: (laughs) well and it's because forever and even still now sometimes it's like a female's interpretation is not appreciated it's always in doubt
0: well, it's because I think that men feel guilty when they see it. And exactly. it's not that all men have attributed like have committed those crimes, mm-hmm. but they feel guilty because they do know someone who has. Exactly. Because every woman and every man on this earth knows a man that has taken advantage of a woman mm-hmm. and has not been held accountable for it. And yep. therefore when we see shit like that, we all feel bad. Yeah. But the question is Did you say something? Yeah. And if you didn't, then that's why it makes you uncomfortable. That's
1: why it makes you uncomfortable. Because if you have nothing to be ashamed of, then like it shouldn't be a problem.
0: Right. You should be like, yeah, that fucking happens. That's the worst. Fuck those guys. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I feel like it's the reason why, like, I just, I feel like they, (laughs) and again, this is a timeless thing of like, they were both women who were not being allowed like out without supervision which i thought was really interesting that like we're literally talking about some a woman in the 1500s who is a young bright talented woman okay let's also compare that and they're not being allowed out without supervision but it's like oh but if you're an older man go for it you know what i'm saying it's like it's these assumptions that we make about people of like no, Tatsi is an older, responsible person, so we'll just let her in his hands. And you kind of have share like, and of course, like, share, like, ran off. Like, she was, <laughs> but it was like, oh, no, she's with Sonny then it's okay. But you know, her, her like,
0: mom didn't. Like Cher's mom, like mm-hmm. in order to have sex, had to be married. So she yeah. kept getting married. Yeah. Like that's what women do. Yeah. To, in order to like live the lives they want to live, they have mm-hmm. to have the passport of a man. And I kept like... Yes, how a passport. The passport was so important. Like I felt like when she wanted to get out of Rome to get to Florence, she had to marry this guy. And that guy was a good guy. But the same thing was true of Cher. The same thing yeah. was true of Cher's mom. Like you have to have your passport to freedom and for women in the 20th century the 21st century has been a little different but in the 20th century and before you had to have a man give you the stamp of okay you're allowed to leave
1: yeah because I literally wrote that like for men <laughs> literally up until really recently like, like talent opened doors but for women it was like you had to have talent And a man giving you the seal of approval. It was like there were just so many more hoops to jump through. And then I feel like because of this, like, because they couldn't be quite forthright. (laughs) Is that a word? Yeah, it is. forthright. Forthright. Okay. With their feelings, like, they had to kind of create characters through their art, you know? I was thinking a lot about how, like, you know like share a song half breed like it's kind of campy, it's kind of fun, but also it's talking about like a serious issue of like kids would literally make fun of her being like your grandma's like an Indian, right like you're you have black hair like you shouldn't like it's creating characters through art because of pain
0: and things you can't talk about like yeah when you're I mean, that's why we call, like, I know we say the struggling artists because they're not making money, but I think also, like, art is about passion. And it's yeah. like, that's, the artists that get picked up are the ones that are hurting because their art means something. Yeah. Because we can look at it and say, oh, I've felt that before.
1: Yeah. It's, it's absolutely relatable. And like, what is more relatable than a woman than, being
0: raped on screen? <laughs>
1: oh, <laughs> like, these, exactly. and those,
0: those paintings are terrifying and yet I've had those emotions. Oh my
1: gosh, absolutely. Now,
0: have I ever tried to commit suicide? No, but I the look on that woman's face, the desperation, I, I understand it. I yeah. get it.
1: And also like, let's talk about the fact that we ended on Cher's quote about I am a rich man. And the fact that Artemisia was legally declared a, a man. man. What I, I'm i just seeing so many parallels between that. And, like, Cher was able to declare herself, like, yeah, I am a rich man. And, like, Artemisia was, like, literally doing so much. And she was legally declared a man. Like, I just think it's so interesting. It's
0: interesting and, like, inspiring to yes. be, like, there is this movement of, like, there are women who are on the caliber of men now. Yeah. And there have been. There have Since the been. 1500s. It's just now and more. And before then,
1: like, and that's what, this is the greatest part. It's like, that's what Artemisia was painting. She was painting the women like her, the women like Cher. Like, we talk about Judith literally bringing the man into her quarters. Cut his head And off. beheading him.
0: I think the we cool can- part... Oh. The cool part is, though, that Artemisia had to have someone declare her a man, yeah. and Cher declared herself oh, a man. That's it. And that's, that's fucking the it. timeline. That is the timeline. That history has been changed because she got to make the decision instead of somebody telling her. That's so true. Preach.
1: <laughs> That's so beautiful. Get out of
0: here. Are you ready to toast? I'm
1: so ready to toast. Allie, who would you like to toast this evening?
0: I just, women of art. I think mm-hmm. uh, art is so passionate and it's yeah. so real. And, I, you know, I obviously i am always like, art comes from pain. Blah, 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 blah. But I know <laughs> a lot of people who like just complete art just to like, make a better moment for themselves. Yeah. So whatever your art is, even if it's if it's writing a poem, if it's painting a picture, if it's doodling in your notes while you're sitting in your college class, like yeah. that is you expressing yourself in a cool place in a cool place in a cool way and just the women of art that are unnoticed because I mean, this woman didn't get noticed until the 2020s, and she should have been for the last (sighs) thousands. I mean, she was friends with Galileo. Uh, Let's say it again. She's (laughs) now she has now been given the title Old Master, which is important. That's very important. But she wasn't until recently. So Mm. I just to the women of art because I am not a woman of art, and I appreciate you. (laughs) Yes. Cheers. Cheers. Who do you got?
1: I'm going to toast women who don't give up. Mm. I just feel like every decade Cher was presented with a problem and an issue and a reason to just throw in the fucking doubt. And she didn't. And she reinvented herself and she rose from the ashes and she was just always willing to be like, okay, what are we going to do?
2: I love that.
1: What's
0: next? Good for her.
1: Good for her. And I love her. And cheers to her. Cheers.
0: Mm. All right, Ellie. What are you enjoying in pop culture this week? Okay. So, you know, if you've ever been on Netflix, the series Explained. Have you watched this? No, I haven't. Okay. So, Explained is super fun. They have multiple different seasons that are all about different things. But pretty much... It's a twenty-minute episode that explains random shit. Oh, so they will be like che- that. chess explained, and it'll tell you everything you need to know. Um, it'll be like um, gene gene transforming explained, bam, money explained, everything <laughs> you need to know. And I, I just so I sit with producer and my sister who lives here, Marjorie, and like at night we'll just be like, let's just put on an explained, and. They are so great because it's a 20 minute of just this is everything you need to know about both sides of the aisle. On this issue, and like I said, it's something as easy as like we're going to explain Dungeons and Dragons to something as important as we're going to explain the Electoral College. Oh my gosh! It's okay, so that great, wonderful. They are. It'll be like chicken processing explained, and then you understand where all your chicken comes from. And I know it's stupid, but it's like that's something nobody's ever told me. Yeah, I would love to know that. That sounds like um, so. There's multiple resource. seasons because they'll be like these are all the board games. This is all the political stuff. This is all the this stuff. So they break it down. But if you just go and type in Explained on Netflix, there are things I didn't know I wanted to know that now I'm like, I kind of wanted to know that.
1: That's perfect.
0: Yeah. So I would highly suggest because they take very little time and they're very interesting. Watch and Explained tonight. Anything you're interested in and then tell me about it online because I want to know which one you like because <laughs> I'm working my way through and there's plenty to get into. Great. What do you like in pop culture right now?
1: Okay. I listened to this song so many times today. I mm. go through phases where I listen to this song a lot because I think it's so fucking good. Okay. It's Aquafina's My Vag. Okay. It was like the song that kind of uh, put her on the map mm. and have you ever heard it? No. It's so
0: good. I'm not a big Aquafina fan. I like her, okay. but I don't like. I you don't like know her, her, yeah. But I don't know You're her not ex- like that. Yes, I'm not experienced in the Aquafina realm. So,
1: I love that the one of the reasons this uh, this video and this song got kind of heavily promoted was, I think it was a John Hamm was on the Jimmy Fallon show and they were playing a game called like What was the last thing you Googled? And he was like. Uh it was Aquafina, my vag. And <laughs> then he had to explain it. She he was like, No, she's this up and coming artist. And she did this music video and <laughs> you know, and she does this whole song about like my vag, one best like actress Oscar, your vag, one best supporting Oscar. <laughs> like, you know, it's like it's very Aquafina. It's, it's so Aquafina, it's so good. The music video is great, the song is great, like you know, and <laughs> and the course is like it's time to let the world know that your vag looks like Janet Reno. <laughs> <laughs> Aquafina's is a genius and her vagina is 50 times better than a penis. I love her. It's so great. And it's just, it's a wonderful song and it's so good. And I just, I was, I listened to it a lot today for no reason at all. Mm. And I was thinking about it and I think Aquafina has gotten so famous and has been in so many things now. That, like, I was like, you know what? Let's talk about that thing she did, like, way back when. Because She's it's probably probably so, so fucking good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: She's like, oh, my God, I hate myself. <laughs> oh,
1: I just love it. So the song and the video is so good.
0: Yes. Yeah. So find us everywhere. Love us everywhere. Please do. We exist on so many places. Join us on Patreon. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be like a wedding. So what you're yes. going to hear is six book interviews that we did that we're so excited about, and the books are great, and we cannot wait. And you, on both our personal Instagrams, which are at cool for cats and at AllieGWood, and then also our HerStory Instagram, if you would like to see wedding pictures and fun <laughs> things, that's where they will be.
1: All the fun things. And I want to give a sa- shout-out to... Therese Klingle I think that's how you pronounce your name Therese sent us an amazing message um I think Therese sent it like a week ago and then it was in like our pending messages and I felt really bad because it like I didn't see it for like a week so like I'm really <laughs> sorry <laughs> sorry it's like hard because it's in the requests envelope which is like totally separate but Therese is right. such Vero a sweet message also. and Vero you're gonna be There's, in Cali uh on our continent for the Cat first time in a while. Yeah, girl, she
0: is gonna be there.
1: There, bro. We will send you some stuff. Um, it's mm-hmm. gonna be so great. So thank you all. We love it when you reach out. It's so wonderful. Um but most of all, we want you to never I'm sorry, I just um <laughs> dropped that. <laughs> I dropped the entire microphone situation. <laughs> But most of all, we want you to never forget that well-behaved woman.
0: I have never seen Jersey Shore.
1: <laughs> and they rarely make it straight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Bye.